powered by the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Odd Friday Lonesaw Studios of Azel, Texas. Welcome to Primetime Special Edition 128. Tonight, we welcome back Nick Sears of LH Cigars as our special guest. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigars is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo has a highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double H 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, the Perdomo Abano Bourbon Barrel Age, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. Want to mention Aganorsa Leaf, and it's always on Cigar Coop. Each month, you can find the latest Aganorsa experience. You go to the sidebar on www.cigar-coop.com. Click on the Aganorsa experience, and it will take you to the Aganorsa Leaf video channel on YouTube. And this month, Terrence Riley, the vice president of Aganorsa Leaf, will actually take you through the process of validation. So if you want to know about validation, you'll find out what it is and how Aganorsa Leaf actually uses it in that process. So be sure to check that out. Go to the sidebar on cigarcoop.com. And when I mentioned JRE Tobacco, the authentic Corojo Leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars, the Cuban leaf is choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Ujilarua took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the Jerry Tobacco Farmers continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Jerry Tobacco, they bring to you the Aladino line. It's available in a variety of different blends, including the latest, the Aladino Classic. You can find them at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco. It's a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And finally, by Drew Estate. Check out and download the Drew Diplomat app for your mobile device. Keep up with everything going on Drew Estate. Experience the subculture that is the rebirth of cigars. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. For more information, check out www.drewdiplomat.com. And as always, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California Studios for the Thursday Primetime Show. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Special Edition number 128. Today is Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. Will Cooper, I'm on the black stage here tonight in the Perdomo Cigar Studios. I'm joined in the great state of Texas, at the Alec Bradley Longstar Studios, by the one and only, my good friend, Mr. Bear the Pussy. Uh, welcome, Coop. Welcome to another special edition. I am so excited to be here. Uh, it's good to see you again. Um, you're looking you're looking, looking much better than you have before. Yeah, I haven't shaved some... yet. I haven't shaved yet. I know. Yet. It looks but, fantastic. But, 
Um, it's not going to be staying much longer. I'll assure you. No, um, no, it but needs, I, I, it needs to keep coming. Just keep well, coming. It, it, it's either I'm going to go get a hot shave or I'm going to do it myself. Like I haven't decided what I want to do yet, but, uh, but yeah, it, it won't be staying for long. <laughs> Throw it out. Just like me, man. It, yeah. It'll, it'll be fantastic. You yeah. look so good with the beard, man. I, I want to see it. And look, <laughs> it's, it's a month early. You can do two months of growth because you could grow for the rest of October and then you're in November and you're like, Hey, it's no shave November. This is perfect. And you'd look awesome. I don't know about that. I mean, there's only you got to have a look to pull off the beard. And I don't know if I have that look. So, um, well, we, we in our we are a blessed uh, group of individuals. But I have a question for you. Coop. This is this is something I've been wanting to ask you. This is a conversation starter for today. Right. If you could take back one thing that you've said in the past week, what would you take back? Oh, wow. I guess I'm a litany. I, I, I would say when I was ready to pull the plug on Rob Thompson as the Phillies manager. And I was very close to doing it. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I'm like, he can't come back if this team falls out of it. You know, the, the doom and gloom I talked about and we made the plus. I, I have to say that's probably the one thing I, I could take back. Okay. Congratulations, by the way, I make your team making the playoffs. I was hoping it would be when you said, you know, when you said to me that a person who compared me to a Yankees fan actually had a point I thought you'd want to take that back because I, you know, like that one hurt. Oh, I, take cool. that this, I take that back. Cool. I take that. I take that back because it wasn't said in the right context. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. Um, no, no. So I, I, I do. T- Congrats yeah. to the Phillies, though, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So I have, I have a load lifted off of me tonight, which is good. So I can enjoy it. Uh, I, you know, it's funny. Like, so I'm going to be smoking tonight. I really just started smoking yesterday. So welcome back. Welcome. Thank back. you. So you know, we didn't do a show for a couple of weeks because um, I couldn't smoke. Um, but also give us an opportunity to bring our guest on. Now, before we bring our guest on, Bear, I want to make sure we get the contest out of the way tonight from uh, Tobacco Lara USA. Let's do uh, it. Now, hashtags. Big, hashtag now. Here is the big news tonight, folks. Uh, we have a new giveaway. So um, the new giveaway is um, a Vega Fina gift set. So I'm going to bring it up here. Uh, so just, of course, the picture is not coming up when I want it to. Um, but Okay, blah blah blah, and so yeah, Vega Fina. Uh, we haven't. We actually did a Vega Fina giveaway at the last year, but this is a, a slightly different set. So let me pull that up there. Um, and this is a cool one. Uh, there's, there's always some good stuff in these things, and hopefully, focus it. So you get a smartphone wallet. So it's something that goes on your smartphone. You get uh the wireless earbuds, right? Uh, I actually have a set of those earbuds. Uh, from last, and they're actually pretty cool. Uh, you get a lighter and a water bottle. So with our contest, we, we give folks who have tu- who took the time to tune in at the beginning of the show the opportunity to win. Um, it's only for the live audience. And all you have to do is answer a question and put the question in the Cigar Coop Facebook live stream. So, you know, if it's shared somewhere, it's got to be in, in the Cigar Coop Facebook live stream. Um, and tonight's hashtag is really easy. Hashtag VF. You have to have in your answer. Man, bear, how is that, right? Hashtag, say it again. Hashtag VF. VF? VF. Vegafina. Vegafina. There yeah. you go. But th- I want nice. the VF, so pay attention, folks. Yes. Hashtag VF. Two letters. Yeah. Two not letters. Even, it's not even a word. I'm not, yeah. Two letters. Our audience is great, but they struggle a bit with hashtags. Um, now, the question is related to Vegafina. And it's a really easy... So, this Vegafina... Um, in the past year has released 
a cigar called the Vega Fina 1998. And the Vitola names have a little bit of a pattern. So each of the Vitola names start with VF and a number. So you may see VF52, for example. I just want to know, tell me what that number means in the Vitola name. A little more challenging tonight, Bear, than I've given the audience. Okay, but as awesome. always, as always, you can find the answer on cigar-coop.com. Always. Yeah. All you have to do is Google. All you got to do is Google. Yeah. So, so easy. What does the number mean in the Vitola names on the Vega Fina 1998, which was released in the U.S. last year? Now, it was released to Europe prior to that, just so you know. But the Vitola names are pretty much the same. So the number is the same. So well, it's not a hard thing to do. You can just go ahead and, and look that up on Cigar Coop. Hashtag VF. You don't have hashtag. I actually have a new download program now, download comments. So I just search for all, everything with the hashtag now. So if you don't have, and folks, you only can enter once. So if you enter twice, if you answer twice with different answers, you're out. So, because I don't know which answer is the right one. The download sorts them out kind of weird. So, um, yeah, I'm not doing timestamps. So, sound good, Bear? Sounds fantastic. Cigar-coop.com. Search Vegafina. You can find the answer. Hashtag VF. Uh, don't forget to go to the Cigar Coop uh, feed. So if you're watching us on a shared page like mine or Nick's or somebody else's or something, uh, make sure you come back to the Cigar Coop feed. Place your answer. Hashtag VF, two letters. Yep. So, Bear, uh, intros? We'll do the intro. Uh, I'll do the intro on this one. Yep. Uh, I, I, I certainly can. Okay. No, I, if you're okay, are you okay with me doing it? Yes, please. Okay, awesome. So, uh, really happy tonight. Um, this guy's a dear friend of mine. And, uh, you know, a lot of what I've done, if I've done it, if I've accomplished some things in cigar media, I learned a lot from this guy, let me tell you, um, as well as a lot about cigars. And he's just become a, a great friend. Uh, he is Nick Sirius of LH Cigars. Nick, welcome back to Primetime. Thank you very much, Coop. I um, always love being on your show. I don't mind talking about cigars, and I'll do it every day if given the opportunity and thank you for the opportunity to be on your show no no problem um you know like i said we uh the, and we have some timely information we were talking about how we would do it and we and i and i said hey why don't we just put you on a show here i think it makes a lot of sense and the tuesday show is a little more like our news magazine type of show so i thought it was a good topic to put in here um to do it so We'll, we'll get in at some of the stuff with Cuba, which we're going to get into right now. But uh, but Nick, just so folks, where you, you want to plug where you are tonight, that's totally well, sure, uh, fine. Yeah. Yep. I'm in the Metropolitan Society Cigar Club in uh, Fairfield, New Jersey. It's a club that was started in 1994, I believe. I was actually one of the original guys. We used to go to different restaurants and just have dinners. And that evolved into um, getting a location, 24-7 access. Um, you got the TVs, you got the comfortable chairs, and it's a great place. If you live in northern Jersey, it's the best place to be a member. Um, it's comfortable. I mean, I love visiting shops. Um, that's what I do. It's part of my job. But coming here, uh, like I can be here at 9 30 at night and i can stay here until whatever time i want smoke my cigars 
Um, it's a great place. So if you're ever in town, please uh, give me a call. I'll uh, be happy to invite you as a guest. Uh, and it has great reciprocity with a lot of the other clubs across the country, across the world. The Metropolitan Cigar Club. MetroCigar.com. Let me give them a plug. Yep. Uh, by the way, I've been there. A great place. Uh, and they used to have a recip- with, with the old Outland cigars when they had that membership lounge. There was a, recip- there was a reciprocal agreement. And then it, it is, a, it, I, I got to say, it's a one of a kind place. It's a member run type of operation. And uh, um, you won't be disappointed, honestly. Uh, and you guys do some great events there as well, which is. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of events. Um, it's a good, it's a good group of guys, you know, very social. Yeah. They got the TVs. They like to watch TV. I, I like to smoke and watch TV, but I don't really watch a lot of TV, but there's plenty of TVs for people that want to watch TV and smoke too. If nice. you can't do it in your house. Yep. No, it, it definitely is. I remember that. And then you, there's a, there's that event, that big event room was just beautiful. Mm. It was like an awesome place. Yeah. It, yeah. And it, it really is bare. It's like something, if you get up, the, and I, you know, I haven't been a Every time I go up to New York, it's for reasons I don't want to be up there, you know, or so I just don't get a chance to enjoy anymore going up there. But uh, it's it's an absolute must place to go. On a lighter note, Nick, how do you feel about that? He called you a close and dear friend, yet he wanted to pawn off the introduction to you to me there. No, I mean, was- you usually do the introductions, and I just wanted to do that. So no, that was why I said that. Uh, so I, yeah you know how it is yeah <laughs> all right it's yeah, totally okay. we have known it. each other for a long time yeah you know, I, I, I mean before and, he was really cigar coop or you just was starting to be cigar coop you know back in the day yeah we but, but yeah but i tell you what you know like working with you alongside you when we did smooth drawers and, and you know obviously it's you know miss miss that a lot we um you know you look back on it and i, and I learned so much from from you and the whole team there that uh you know it's, i'm very it's it, a lot I, of fun having you there coop it really it really was we had, we yeah. had some good it was time such a great show yeah, yeah. It's, it was such it's, a great show great dynamic yeah yeah so uh no but it's it's missed and you know um you know it's it's part like i said it, it, it is an important part of what what i've done in cigar it's media your, it's part of your yeah. legacy part of yeah. your history part of who you are becomes yep. part of you yep yep for, yeah. for absolutely sure so let's get into what we're smoking tonight. Um, and so, Bear, I'm going to kick it off with you because you are smoking something that um, is an absolute, in my opinion, home run of a cigar. Um, I, I know this cigar will not let you down. Um, and it's gotten, you know, not only has it been a cigar that's landed in the Coop Top 10, it also got the Aaron Nielsen dialed. Yes. What? So Aaron Nielsen, who is a member of our team, he uh he when he likes a cigar he uses the word dialed dialed okay dialed so when he when he's that's kind of the way he like when he rates a cigar dialed it's freaking good and he's gonna buy a box of those whenever he can oh okay so well no multiple boxes multiple boxes yeah so he buys a he buy a box of anything so he'll buy a box (laughs) of anything to try it right he doesn't he doesn't try what he buys and then if he likes it he buys multiple boxes um and not only that, Ben Ben Lee, who's also a member of the Coop team, has been also singing the praises of this cigar. And this, like I said, landed number eight on the Coop list last year. Uh, it is the La Vida Havana LE. Stole my thunder, but yeah, there it is. Yep. I'm yeah, I'm super stoked. I'm super stoked for this cigar. This is my first time smoking it. Uh, oh. Of course, I've had plenty of uh, of La Vida Havana cigars. Wait, before. wait, is that the oh, LE? Is that the LE, Mick? 
<laughs> of course it is. Okay. You don't okay. Just, what it looks like? What? Well, okay. No, I just I I <laughs> I. I just, well, because I made a little mistake with my cigars tonight, so I'm kind of joking. Uh, closed, clo- uh, closed foot. Uh, or sh- would you call it a closed foot, Nick, or a shaggy foot, or a combination of the closed two? Foot. Closed, closed foot. Closed foot. Every cigar I made has become kind of a signature of the LH and the Nick line. Uh, I give it. I, I enjoy it because not only is it part of my signature of, of what I do, but it, I use it to pay homage to. Uh, again, what we're going to be talking about a lot tonight is Cuba and where things began. And um, I just like the close foot. It's something different. Me too. I'm, I'm a big fan of it when it's used. So yep. pretty awesome stuff here. A little bit different than your, uh, than your, your, uh, your traditional logo. Uh, what, uh, what made you go with like the, the black and I, I, I'll call it gold, probably more of a bronze, but the more, it's definitely a more oh, bear, I like it, classic. Bear, bear. Well, classic is the correct word because that is actually the first band that I've ever used and okay. still used on the international market. Um, when I first started, again, LH stands for La Vida Havana, and it started from the private lounge of the La Vida Havana Lounge in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Um, that's what the lounge was named. And when I came up with a blend, it was a house blend initially for the lounge. I just simply put the logo, which... I like that logo one because I kind of made it and uh, it's simple, but yet I thought it was majestic enough looking and it looks regal. So I kind of thought it was nice and just put it on a simple, I took basically a Romeo and Juliet um, band and put it black, little gold, slapped the LH on it. Very simple um, and simply stated. And that's how it started getting some uh, intrigue because one thing I would say about uh, the Saudis and the, the, the clientele of the Levita Havana lounges, they would take that cigar around to other um, shops, people, and they would hand it and it says nothing on it. It just says LH. And eventually people called me and said, what is this LH? So that's why I call the cigar uh, company LH Premium Cigars. Um, my distribution out of the U.S. is called LH Distribution. I use the LH instead of Levita Havana. Um, so that's what it means. So you said the nice. word classic. It's the classic band. Awesome. I, I like it a lot. Uh, the love the tobacco leaves on the side too. Yeah, I thought a little, little touch. The funny thing is, believe it or not, the U.S. market wasn't a huge fan of it. You know, when I first launched it, remember that uh, <laughs> people said, hey, man, great cigar. That band is just eh, just not really doesn't stand out and i'm like oh okay so my favorite band in the industry happens to be the opus x i mean to me that's just art and so i try to kind of emulate that band using the lh logo and i came up with the red and the blacks and then i came up with this so it's got the round if you can see it it's um red black still has the black shield with the lh in the middle and I thought, you know, it was a little bit more colorful. And then depending on which um, blend, I had the different color uh, bands. Um, and the U.S. market took to it better, and I used it there. When I tried to use that overseas, for some reason, a lot in Europe, I wasn't allowed to because it had the word Habana, and I was not allowed to use the word Habana on the, on the cigar band. But for many reasons, people thought the band was actually too big. Some people said gaudy. 
so it's amazing uh, the different markets for the different countries. From it is a big band. I mean, I've seen bigger. I was just saying. Been, I was like, if that's Gotti, <laughs> I like it. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't like it. And in fact, when I switched it over, a lot of people, what is this band? Go back to the original band. So for the countries that didn't like it, I kept it back with the black band. Uh, again, the simplicity. I'm all about simplicity. Well, that, I'm d- couldn't get any I'm simpler it. with the Nick with the with the Nick band. <laughs> That's another story. Yeah, I'm digging. I'm really excited to get more into the cigar here. But I love I love a shaggy foot. Love the way it lights. Yeah. Uh, lit up. Just look like lit up incredibly well. So, Coop, what are you smoking? Well, I'm smoking something really special tonight. Uh, Nick was kind of to share this with me. Um, it is, and Nick, correct me if I just say, soon to be released cigar. Just starting to be released. Just starting certain, to be released. Certain uh, special retailers have gotten it already. Um, it's called the Nikos. Nikos. What I, oh, yeah, it's, it's well, a little hard to see that with the camera, but uh... okay, we're talking about simple bands. Nothing could be simpler <laughs> than this. the white. And, and I got to tell the story of that. If I don't know if this is the time to do it, but no, Nick, go ahead because talking... I mean, it's, I think it's good. We're talking about yeah, you can see neat there. It okay, is. yeah, so. Basically, we talked about the LH original classic into the three different style of the LH bands. Um, I came up with another band and another name of a, of a brand that I did with a good friend of mine, Jim Robinson, the owner of Leaf by Oscar brand and uh, Island Jim. So he discovered, we discovered each other, you could say in Cuba. And again, Cuba is the underlying theme for whatever reason. Cuba has been very centric to everything I've done in this industry, uh, in the cigar world. It just so happened to be how things played out for me. That's just seems that everything goes back from the first time I set foot on the island. Uh, not only did I fall in love with the land, the people, and uh, most importantly, the tobacco. Um, but anyway, I met Jim there. Jim was doesn't smoke Cubans. He doesn't smoke really anything other than his own cigars. And he had run out. And I started feeding him LH cigars. And he said, whoa, what is this? I'm like, oh, this is my brand, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, can I get this in my shop? Because if people don't know, uh, Jim Robinson also has a a cigar shop in Pittsburgh called The Leaf and Bean. So I said, absolutely, Jim. So Jim was literally one of my first retailers in the U.S. and sold my cigar, the LH brand there. And after a few months, he came back to me and said, you know, Nick, outside of my own cigars your cigar is one of the best-selling cigars in the lounge and i really want more people to get to know your brand and you as a blender and i'm like well jim i'm all ears whatever you think uh will work i'd be happy to uh oblige so he said look i can't force my brokers or tell my brokers to sell your line uh but if you make a cigar for me i'll have them sell it so we talked about it and we came up with a concept called La Vida Isla. Isla meaning island in Spanish, Island Jim, La Vida Havana. Great mashup of the two names. Uh, initially, I was going to try to use Honduran tobacco to create a, a blend that kind of incorporated the two brands and, and uh, concepts. Uh, didn't go that, right, that way. In fact, it didn't go La Vida Isla. We announced it. We were hit with a cease and desist from a company out of Tampa, uh, we responded that it was, you know, basically they didn't have merit to um, fight the La Vida Isla. Uh, and, and they went away quietly. 
Um, but in the meantime, Jim said, look, I don't want to wait. I don't care what we call this cigar. I want to get it out on the market. Let's just call it the Nick and Jim. And I said, okay, uh, that's great. But, you know, I already created a logo, a band. How about we call it the Nick and Jim PBE for pre-band edition? And he's like, ah, sounds good to me. Um, so we came up with the PBE. The PBE standing for pre-band. So the whole thing was tongue in cheek where we literally went and took white paper and I went on the internet and I, and I found the most crooked font I could find that looked like an old typewriter and typed out Nick and Jim PBE. And so the whole concept is that it's not ready for prime time, so to speak, that it's not yet released. It's a pre-release. So it's got, for people that don't know, when you're creating blends and you're tasting blends, uh, you basically put a white piece of paper on it and you write down Liga 1, Liga 2, whatever the case may be, or you type on it. So we used the white paper band. Even the box was tongue-in-cheek where on the one side it said LH logo will go here, Island Gym logo will go here. <laughs> so that was the concept. We released it. The original idea was to do 20,000 sticks like that. And uh, we went through those pretty quickly. And I said, Jim, should we go to the, the La Vida Isla now? And Jim said, you know, Nick, it's not broken. Don't fix it. Let's let it ride. So the Nick and Jim continued to stay as it was. So the white paper band was there. And the thing I didn't like about it was the thing that was making it sell. It was that white, simple paper band. So what happened with uh, the, the Nick line and what came out of the Nick and Jim original blend that Jim sells, um, it was the pandemic. I couldn't get bands. I wanted to come up with some innovative, different type of cigars that I hadn't originally done uh, in the LH line. So the first one that I came up with was a, uh, a figurado that um, kind of looks like the feral pig. Uh, it's kind of tapered on the ends and fat in the middle. And um, just took the, I called Jim and I said, Jim, should we do some more extensions on the Nick line uh, on the Nick and Jim? And he said, you know, Nick, I have leaf by Oscar do what you got to do, man, and go out and, uh, you know, make your own path. So I literally took off the and Jim part and the PB part and just put the Nick on there on the same white paper band with the exact same font. And uh, the Ponzone was born. People were calling it the Nick, but the, the, the name of the, the Vitola and the cigar was called Ponzone. Ponzone means potbellied in Spanish. And, and the, the funny thing about that is when I was at the factory, I heard people calling it a Ponzone, but I had never had named it Ponzone. And I remember going to my partner there. I said, what, what the heck is a Ponzone? Why do they keep saying Ponzone? They're like, oh, Nick, Ponzone, it means, you know, like fat guy, like pot bellied. And I'm like, oh, they're making fun of me. Is that what it is? I'm like, no, no, Nick, it's not you. It's just a cigar because it's tapered in the middle. And I said, okay, I like the name Ponzone. So the Ponzone was, was, uh, was created. And then uh, we came out with a little version of that called the Nick Jr., which looks kind of like the, the uh, you know, the, uh, what do you call it, the, the flying pig kind of shape, which was another old Cuban uh, Vitola. Uh, so we had a larger figure, uh, figurato, a smaller one, which I call a botella. It's a little bottle size, which is the Nick Jr. I made a Lonsdale. And these are all Vitolas that I had not created or put into the regular LH line. So I made a Nick line, so to speak. And then people kept saying, hey, man, why don't you do a Nick Toro? I said, okay. 
So using basically the same, you know, uh, concept of the Nick line, I made a Toro, which is very similar to the Nick and Jim, slightly different proportions, very similar, but using the same wrapper. So the Nick Toro was born. Now I have a seven by 70, just by popular demand. And so that's the Nick line. And with the Nikos, which um, people have been asking me for a long time, people, my blends tend to be more, I think, because my palate is very Cuban. I like Cuban cigars. So I try to kind of make some Cuban-esque type of cigars and blends. So people kept saying, Nick, have you thought about doing something stronger? Now, my LH Maduro is probably the strongest thing that I make out there. It's got some spicy notes and things like that. But again, it's because all the tobaccos we use are minimum three to five year aged and very fermented, they're smooth. So even though they may be more strength, they're very smooth. So you don't get any of that harshness that, that some people tend to like, believe it or not. So I've been kind of contemplating for a while to make a cigar that's stronger. So I actually blended something, had it ready to go about six months ago. And I realized the tobacco that I used in it was so difficult to get. It was some Dominican tobacco that I was using and I couldn't get it regularly and I couldn't get enough of it. And I said, you know, this isn't going to work. So it was back to the drawing board. So I uh, was delayed with it. And um, I was kind of on the fence between going with a little bit stronger versus a little bit smoother. So um, in fact, I have some, some of my key retailers that I did a little contest with where I gave them both blends and let them kind of pick which they like. And then that's the one I ended up going with kind of thing. So that's the Nikos guys. And that's be at cigar shop near you. Very nice. Awesome. Very nice. What can you tell us what we, you know, you said it's Dominican tobacco is, um, what else there can you share? Dominican. There was, I mean, okay. There was, right. So what, what can you tell us about the blend for people who may want to like geek out? You can tell as much or as little as you want. Well, you know, I realize, you know, I am the blender of my own brand and, and uh, at the factory, I blend a lot of different cigars, but you know, people go, oh, you're a master blender, Nick Sirius. I go, well, you know, I don't like the, the terminology master blender because to me, you know, as a uh, martial artist from years ago, the term master to means means somebody that's been mastered something. It's been doing it for many, many years that can do it in his sleep. Um, I'm far from what I would consider a master, but I have gotten pretty good with about eight or nine different types of tobaccos, about five or six different countries. And I wish I had more time to spend experimenting because if I could just, what I love about this business is the fact that it's my creative outlet to be able to make a blend. That's why I ended up doing my own blends. It would have been a lot easier, uh, I think, to get people to try blends if I had gone to some of the more well-known blenders out there and had them create a cigar for me. But I wanted to kind of do it my way, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. And, and, you know, I've learned along the way. I've been doing it for a while. Uh, I like to say I've been trained and mentored again in Cuba. Um, and I enjoy what I do. And one of the tobaccos, and again, I keep talking about Cuba, but again, everything seems to kind of revolve around Cuba, including a lot of the tobaccos that I use. The tobaccos that I've sourced, particularly like this Peruvian that I use in kind of the common theme through a lot of the, all the cigars that I use, I met the owner of this uh, farm in, um, in Ecuador, no, I'm sorry, in Peru. Uh, he's an Italian. 
and met him in Cuba, went there. So I use a lot of Peruvian tobacco. I like the way the Peruvian mixed with the Nicaraguan um, tobaccos that we use, that the, the synergistic effect of those two just kind of just I just like what it what it does. So I kind of use different proportions of those. In the Nikos, I use a bit more of Brazilian. I use a lot of Brazilian as well. And uh, the Nicaraguan. Ecuador is another uh, common uh, tobacco that we use country for us because uh, we actually have a farm in Ecuador that we roll, we uh, grow our own wrapper. I happen to use all the wrappers that I've used on all the, all the cigars come from our, our farm. We have a leased farm in Ecuador. And uh, I've played with some other wrappers and I plan on using some other stuff in the future. But for the time being, I just kind of love, I've fallen in love with this particular wrapper and it's a seed that comes out of Cuba. It's the same seed that they use in a lot of their limited edition. Uh, it's not a common, it's not a Habano, it's, it's not a Criollo. It's a very, we call it the uh, Vuelta Bajo seed. Um, and we planted it in Ecuador. And I just love, uh, just love that wrapper and I can't get enough of it. And I keep coming up with different blends based off of that wrapper or using that wrapper. So, yeah, I don't want to get into the details of it because uh, I realize geeking out with people, it doesn't matter. You know, some people care, some people we, don't care. Well, we love to geek out. So, I mean, you said it's not Criollo, it's not Corojo. Mm. Um, but it's like if over. you had... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, if you had to characterize it, I mean, for pe people are more are pretty familiar with those two. Like, mm -hmm. would you say that it it's completely different than both of them? Does it lean more towards the crows? Because I find those two to be. Yeah, no, it's completely different. Um, there's a certain sweetness that I get off of this wrapper that I never was able to get out of the other ones. Um, mm -hmm. It's a it's a Vuelta Bajo seed. That's um, a derivative seed that just is different. And I remember tasting it in a Cuban leaf. And I said, wow, this is definitely different. I wonder what this would uh, be like, you know, grown in, in Ecuador. And there's just something about it that just the sweetness that I get off that wrapper, I can't get off the other ones. And um, yeah, it's kind of like, we just call it the, uh, you know, we sell a lot of wrapper too. So, um, you know, you'll see more and more of it out there. I think as, as time goes on. Yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to uh, your, your cigars. Definitely. Okay. So, you know, this gets tossed around a lot and it's a word that's, you know, it's way too overused. Right. And you know what I'm about to say, right. Unique Cubanesque or, or Cuban. That's another one. That, that's yeah, another but, one that just everybody's, Oh, it's Cubanesque. But, Cubanesque. Ah, but okay. there, I, what Coop and I talk about this is that like certain factories and certain blenders have what's called a signature. Right. right. And, and it's something that's very distinct. They're like, I'm smoking an X I'm smoking yeah. something blended by Y and yeah. something that I've always really liked about your cigars, Nick, is that it has a signature to it that's that's different, that's unique to everybody right. else. And I really like that. You So like you said, you've sold a lot of it. I'm really excited to see what other people's take is, because if it's as versatile as you say it is, it could be something that's really unique uh, for this industry in a lot of different ways. I did want to, I did pick up something else there. You said that you like to blend with, did, did I hear you correctly? You said you like to blend with Peruvian tobacco? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Coop, you like his cigars, right? Yes. Hmm. 
Interesting. Coop doesn't like Peruvian tobacco, and I keep telling him he's crazy because it's awesome. No, no, I never said I don't. <laughs> I never said I don't like it. No, I never said. I Listen, like it. a lot of people don't true. like Peruvian tobacco. It's, it's a polarizing as tobacco. A puro, just, as as a puro, that's it, where I was going. Too much. It it's too heavy. Much. Yeah. Yeah, you can't go heavy on it. I mean, yeah. you yeah. can. I, I I only use a leaf. Yeah, leaf and a half. It, it, overdone to me. I also agree. Um, yeah, it's got to be used in moderation. In, in yep. my, opinion. I agree. And, and you said signature. That's what the Nikos. I'm hoping that Coop says that doesn't taste. Even though it kind of still has that signature, uh, Nick LH type thing. It should be different than anything else that I. This made. is completely different of anything I've had from you okay. right out of the gate. Right. I mean, so that's that's, that's what I wanted to hear. And, that's and, what and, I wanted. And to hear. It, no doubt, it's bolder. I mean, this is a right. like. This is this is bolder than I. It's not knock itself. It's not gonna knock me on my ass. No, but, it's not. It's but not. you know you're no. But but this is much bolder. Is what I'm gonna tell you. Um, right. Which is what people have been asking. So I'm like, look, it's not like I can't produce stronger cigars or bolder cigars. I just prefer personally. Yeah. I don't think you need the excess. I don't believe in excess nicotine. Th- this and is that flavor. Still doesn't have it. But it's this got is flavor. flavor though. I mean, it's yeah. This is really starting out great. Um, but yeah, it doesn't have that. It, it is very different than than the, the core line and and certainly the neck. Right. Good. It's it, exactly I, I, the yeah the uh, the feedback I was looking for. Okay. Good. And and it's I, I do taste. I am tasting the Peruvian. It's a slight, okay. that sweetness I'm getting. Right. Um, and it's and it's not overdone. wrapper. What? That may be the wrapper. The sweetness I get a lot of the sweetness. Interesting. The okay. Interesting. But, like. And bear just kind of because I do want to clarify. I do. I've smoked like a lot of Lauro stuff and, and some I can other. Bust your balls, man! Come okay. on, I'm just messing with you. Yeah, but go ahead and clarify. Don't I was just so messing with you. Don't get so I was just. Defensive. I was messing with you. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, but I like I said, it's in the higher doses. Um, where I just find it, it's too floral and too sweet when it's hot when it's used in high in high um amounts. Well, I have to agree with that. Yeah. No, and I I agree too for yeah. I mean, for the for what or what it's worth, but yeah. um. Um, I'm this LA that I'm smoking to. I mean, this construction is impeccable. It, this, That's a hell of good. a cigar. That's a hell of a cigar. That is like, you know what? And, and, and I've, sh- Nick, I've shit on a lot of limited editions on these shows. Okay. Right, right. That, that's a legitimate limited edition cigar that I would say, get your hands on that cigar. That, that, that's honestly. And this is the, this is the perfect draw. So Nick Coop and I have the, the same feelings towards draws. Yep. Right. And we prefer a draw that has, then you have to work resistant. a little bit. Yeah. Resist a little perfect. And some perfect. people don't like that. Uh, and I get some people that say, oh, you know, it's got a little bit of a tough draw. I'm like, I like a little bit of resistance. Yeah. And the reason for it is you can put that down, walk away. Ten minutes later, you could pick that cigar. And for the most part, it still will be lit, you know, because it's well packed with tobacco and it has that resistance point. There's so many cigars that are just. In my opinion, it's like smoking air. It's just too free flowing. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's under. I, I agree. I agree. With you. But I, I like some people don't like that. There's just, hey, that's what makes the world go around. Right. That's why there's five million different uh, brands and cigars out there, because there's something for everybody. But yet, um, again, I tend to like that type of draw. And again, it's more similar to a Cuban draw, I would think. Very good. Yep. So we're going to definitely get into more of these cigars as we're smoking them tonight. Um, but Nick, what I want to do is and we're going to talk about some more LH a little later in the show. 
Um, right. But I want to talk, you know, I want to talk a little about Cuba. Or we're going to talk it. about Cuba. So Nick, for folks who may not know, Nick's our Cuban contributor to Cigar Coop. I mean, literally, uh, when, when I look for Cuban, when we publish stuff on Cuban uh, cigars or Cuba, uh, it's, it's through the help we get with Nick, uh, who's been invaluable with that. So Nick's kind of uh, played that role. And, you know, he recently did go to Cuba to the Cohiba uh, 50th anniversary festival. But before we get there, OK, you know, Nick, you are known as someone who knows Cuba. I mean, I've been to Cuba with you. Let me tell you, when Nick walks down the street in Cuba, they all know who Nick is. OK, <laughs> so uh, you know, we, he got the nickname, the boss down there actually, <laughs> from our old colleague, Gary. Gary's like, yeah. everyone knows. And, I, and when I went down there and I saw everyone like, so Nick's got great relationships down there. Um, but Nick, for you know, I want to just give you an opportunity to talk a little about, like, you know, because you do have your own brand, but you are known as, as, as someone who really knows Cuba. So talk. And I don't mind wearing that, that hat. I, I'm very proud yeah. uh, in, in a community, again, non-political. I love the country of Cuba. I love the people of Cuba. I really stay away from the politics of yep. Cuba. And, and that's been the reason for my, I, I guess, success of not being bothered there for over, you know, I, I've been going there since 2008, very regularly, I might add, uh, you know, I, over a hundred times, I, I was there practically monthly. I uh, understand that I used to provide uh, tours there. I had a company, part of the Smooth Draws yep. umbrella. It was called Smooth Draws Cigar Tours to Cuba. In fact, the website's still up. It's called CigarToursToCuba.com. People can go look at some of the past itineraries that we we did and um i love bringing people there and letting them see cuba with but you got to be a cigar guy i mean i i wasn't doing the different types of cuban tours that are available mine were all again tobacco centric i took you to the factories i took you to the farms i took you to the shops you got some history in there you yep. got some everything else but again it was if you didn't like cigars you're, you're on the wrong tour and what I loved about that is I just never will forget the first time I landed and set foot in Cuba. And when you get off the plane, when you get into Havana and you look around, it's like being transported not only back in time, but it literally is a different planet. And there was just something about it. Very magical. Yep. If you had asked me what I had been so in love with the country of Cuba, I never I mean, I've always loved tobacco. I've been smoking since 1992. And it was always my dream to one day visit Cuba, you know, the birthplace of, you know, cigars. So when I first got there and I was able to visit the farms and everything, I just fell in love with the country and uh, couldn't get enough of it. So, yeah, I've become over time, I don't know, self-proclaimed or otherwise a Cuban expert. I'm kind of known uh, in the U.S. as somebody that knows a little thing or two about Cuba. And uh, I've spent some time there. So I'd love to I'd love to share uh, my stories, uh, my experiences to anybody that's willing to listen. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I've been on one of those tours. Uh, you were kind enough uh, to invite me on that. And uh, I, I, you know, every, I can back everything up that Nick says. Uh, it's a, it was the one thing in, you know, Nick, you, we've talked a lot about this. It's tough. There's no such thing as a guaranteed reservation in Cuba. And we actually saw that 
firsthand. And there's no, no such thing as a guaranteed anything. In and, right, right. Let's put it like you way. may go there and you may not have your hotel room, right? Like, right. Or your area. And we had a little bit of an issue. And Nick was able to pivot very quickly to the right people. And we had a place to stay, you know, very quickly. So, I mean, I saw and it was a very well organized tour. It was educational and like, yeah, it was cigar centric, but there was plenty of history. I mean, in there, too. Um, and, uh, you know, and I'll just say this again, government aside, we're not getting political here. I, I, I saw the warmth of the people when we were there was was incredible. Uh, it's something I never forget. Uh, they yep. love Americans. They still yeah. love Americans. Um, the people don't have a problem with Americans. You know, um, the governments have their issues. Um, but the country itself, no. Very welcoming of foreigners in general, especially Americans. There's a love affair for sure. Yeah. You, you know, one of the moments I remember, Nick, on the trip, right? And, and this was a little political, right? We're walking through Old Havana and there's a guy protesting Donald Trump, right? Because this was right before the uh, 2016 election. And the guy's yelling anti-Donald Trump, anti-Donald Trump. And, you know, of course, Gary has to yell pro-Donald Trump, right? Right. 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 <laughs> but it was, I remember you said, or I forget, I think it was a guide or you said something like, that was almost unheard of to see something like that because, you know, they, but they were letting it, it looks like they were letting it go on because obviously they were really worried about Trump locking Cuba down again, you know? So, and, and they, they were right. they, Yeah. Yeah. And they were right. So, but it, that's yeah. why that was going, going on there. Yeah. They called that one. Cause we, yeah. we had gone, I mean, I went probably about a, a year and a half after Obama loosened up the restrictions and right before Obama lifted the, the cap on what you could bring back. It was like two weeks right. later. Yeah, he lifted the cap. I'm like, what the fuck? So yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, uh, that was uh, it. Went from one extreme to another, back again to the extreme. Uh, you know, prior to the Obama changes, you literally could not bring back one stick or one bottle of rum. You weren't allowed to bring back anything. Uh, it used to be a hundred dollars. Then they went to zero. Obama opens it up back to a hundred. Then to unlimited, people didn't uh, couldn't believe that it literally was unlimited. You know, you'd have to pay the tax over eight hundred dollars, but you could literally bring back as many cigars. And there were people, you know, Cuban cigar lovers in the United States, collectors that would go and bring suitcases back. And the the eyes of the custom officers in the U.S. used to go crazy. I have a couple of friends that just have you know humidors bigger than most shops, and they would buy all these for their personal use. And that was the key. As long as it was for personal use, you could bring back as much as you wanted. Just pay your tax above your $800 limit per person. And uh, so it was a little extreme. Uh, to be honest, I thought it was a little much uh, where your limit, you know, uh, from Nicaragua, from Honduras, from Costa Rica, it's 100 cigars before you pay a tax. Doesn't matter the monetary value. It's just 100 cigars. Um, there was unlimited. Yep. So there wasn't a limit. So that was kind of crazy. Now it's yeah. back to zero. Now it's back to zero. Yeah. So Nick, I wanted to ask you this and, and I think I've asked you privately, but I, I can't remember, but um, just for the, since time has passed and everything for our benefit, our audience outside yeah. cigars and outside the people, as you've talked so lovingly about um, right. what's, what's your favorite thing in Cuba? Is it, is it the music? Is it the food? Is it something else? Nope. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big foodie as Coop knows. If you like rice and beans, um chicken and pork it's a great country to go to now there have been some really great restaurants over the last couple of years 
basically foreigners that ended up living there and opening some really fine Italian restaurants. There's a Chinatown that we went to. Coop, oh, it was good. It was good. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So food, if you're into food, I don't recommend Cuba for food, even though you can get some fine dining. Wow. Um, if you like music, if you like creativity, you know, jazz, there's a big jazz scene there. There's obviously salsa and dancing, uh, neither of which I'm really a big fan of. Jazz right. music, yes, music in general. Uh, the artists of Cuba, I'm talking painting, uh, musical. There's just a lot of creative people in Cuba. Uh, and I like that about Cuba, the creative factor that exists. Um, architecture, the because of the old uh, Art Deco style buildings and um the history. I love history as I found out you do too. Yeah. Um, bear there's, if you like history, yep. it was all about history too. Sometimes it's standing still, but uh, there's definitely still history there. Um, I love the climate, you know, living in Florida for over 25 years, it's very similar, but it's, uh, you know, mother nature's natural humidor. So that didn't hurt the, uh, the, the, the cigar factor. Um, what else? The people, you know, as as here, here's the big difference between current day Cuba, which we'll get into and, and the fond years that I remember, is that, you know, even though the people of Cuba definitely, for the most part, did not have much money, um, they loved life and they they were positive. You know, they made do with what they had. And it was a place that you know, there was no pretentious. Well, okay, they all had to have their iPhones. That's a whole nother story. But um, <laughs> other than that, you know, they just were able to enjoy life and be positive, with a lot of reasons to not be positive. And um, and that always, you know, made an impact on me. And uh, of late, I've seen that that light kind of get, you know, extinguished of late and it's really sad and depressing to see in my last couple of visits which i'll go into um but yeah i guess really it's all about the cigars bear i'm not a very complicated person i love cigars <laughs> and uh i love the history of cuba and it's where it started and that's it yeah you know nick the um the part you talked about like i said people loving life I, again i remember a lot of times when we were down on the street you know, outside of wherever we were staying and, and, you know, interacting with people with that. Um, I remember we were at, outside of Bell's restaurant and it was, we, we talked to some folks and then outside of uh, the, one of the houses that the folks were staying at, you know, we were talking right. to people on the, it, and it was, it, there, there was something, there was a great vibe we had with that. And again, what I tried to do and always, if, if I ever get back to doing the tours in Cuba, um, continue like, you know, OFAC has very clear guidelines about what to do in Cuba. It's definitely not a tourist thing. You know, there's no tourism for Americans never was since the embargo was put in place. Um, so I really kept it to the letter of the law with the OFAC licensing. It was all about people to people, educational tours. And we literally, I made a point of going to private restaurants, staying in private homes, using private, you know, cars and taxis instead of the government. We try to stay, okay, the reality is all the money funnels back to the government one way or the other. But when you put the money directly into the people's hands, 
that's the people that need it. And, you know, with the embargo um, affecting, of course, Cuba, it affects the people of Cuba more than anything. I mean, yeah, did it affect the government? They still get the money. It's the people that were really um, hurting and still hurting and now hurting more than ever. So yep. we, I try to help the people of Cuba because they're the real victims. No, that's, and I get that again, that was all. I remember all the taxis were privatized when we were there. Uh, you know, we went to uh, Hector Luis Prieto's farm and, you know, it's private, but he, he pays what I say. He paid homage to Caesar. You know, it's kind of he has to. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah all the farms, even though some of them are private, are they really private? They're told, OK, this is your farm. But, you know, but, it could but be yeah, yours today, tomorrow. It, yeah. it, it could be taken away. But, you know, they got paid a wage for, you know, for their tobacco and uh, some rewarded for being good farmers and, and recognized like like Hector Luis was. And, you know, um, and there's a lot of great farmers, you know, in, in uh, the Pinar del Rio region there. Um, speaking of Pinar del Rio, if if you don't mind me, segue. Yeah, into, let's say we'll, 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 we'll stay with this. We'll segue into that part and we'll talk about what yeah, you've seen the, recently. Yep. Well, the most recent thing that's happened that everybody probably knows is Hurricane Ian. Uh, it's done a number on um, Florida and many parts of the United States, but an area where it directly hit and affected was the Pinar del Rio province of Cuba, uh, primarily San Luis, San Juan and Martinez, and these towns in Pinar that were devastating. You know, you're talking about a Category 3 hurricane that uh, just battered, you know, the whole province of Pinar for over six hours. Um, I know there was two dead, maybe there was more since, but considerable damage. Um, I think the, uh, the reports there, there were like 50, you know, they evacuated about 50,000 people just to get them out of the, of the town. Now, people go, were the crops hurt? I'm like, well, they didn't plant yet you know planting wasn't supposed to take place for at least a few more weeks but they did report that 226 tons of tobacco were damaged from the august uh harvest um, and pinar the rio produces 65 percent of the country's tobacco and 100 percent of the wrapper so you know there was a lot of damage uh, all the buildings all these curing barns i have to say going to these curing barns that some were, you know, 100 years old, you look around, you go, I don't even know how this building is standing anyway. So it's, you know, it didn't take much. I don't think a category three was even necessary to, to wipe down most of these buildings. I, yeah, a lot of a lot of my friends and, and uh, people there have sent me videos and photographs, and they're hard to look at uh, the damage that it's done. And it's going to, uh, it's going to take these farmers a long time to get back on their feet. Um, and they're going to have to do it in record time if they want to uh, start sowing soon enough. Um, and it's going to be very difficult. They're going to need government support. But more importantly, you know, there's been some um, actual, you know, for, for Havana and, and the government of Cuba to ask the U.S. for help. They got to be, you know, and they have asked for our help. There's been some petitions and things to try to temporarily uh, remove the embargo because even if money is free flowing, which it's not getting things there, anything that you and I would take for granted, it's very difficult to get anything into Cuba because of the embargo. It, it has had an effect. 
it, it in my opinion, the embargo hasn't worked because, you know, you're talking about 50 plus years and, you know, everything's still status quo. Um, who did it affect, in my opinion? The people, you know, not being able to get resources there and having to go back and forth. There's no, there's, um, it's difficult to get anything there. And, and what happened since the pandemic has been just, I call it the, the trifecta of everything that could happen at, at the same time. You know, they, they made, in my opinion, a very badly timed change of the, um, the money. You know, there used to be two forms of money there. Um, it used to be the local pesos for the local people. And then they created this currency called the convertible Cuban peso or the CUC, C-U-C, which was tied uh, monetarily to the U.S. dollar. And that was used for most of the, you know, the tourists were going to use. And it was supposed to be two separate things, but then nobody wanted, you know, the, the government workers and the people that worked there were paid and the locals, you know, transacted with the CUP, the Cuban peso. Um, so they wanted to get rid of it. So they went to a one, the idea was to go to one, uh, one denomination, the, the, the Cuban peso. And it was, uh, it, it's been a complete debacle. That, you know, it, it's been, uh, first of all, originally they were going to make it 20, the original was 25 to one. Uh, when I was there in April, which was bad, um, it was 25 to one, but nobody wanted to take it. You know, nobody wanted to take it. Um, the street price, you know, you know, you, you see this happened in, in Venezuela, you know, and the devaluation, rapid devaluation, you could get a hundred on the street, uh, 120. So quite quickly, I think it was like uh, about a month or two ago, the Cuban government changed the denomination of the coup, uh, the CUP to 110 instead of 25, thinking that was going to solve the, the street price. But no, now the street price is like 140, 150, 160. Nobody wants, the one thing I will say uh, is if you do go there, don't change a lot of money because nobody wants it. There's two other forms of, of money there. They have a cryptocurrency thing that they created that um, it's, a, it's a debit card. So there's no actual money being exchanged. And this is for the locals. So if you want to go to a, a supermarket, you can't use actual hard cash. You have to use a debit card. They won't take it. Um, it's really everything. They'll take U.S. dollars. Actually, they'll take um, euros more than dollars because they were getting away completely from the U.S. dollar for a long time. But now things have been going back the other way as well. So it, it's a mess. The money situation there is a mess. You had the, uh, the lack of tourism, which is what that country depends on gone because of the pandemic and it's still not back you have the biggest problem you know um trump stopped all uh forms of like the uh what do you call it the western union that's how the the number one gdp for cuba is the cuban americans that send money back to their relatives families and friends and without that money coming in these people some can't live and it was stopped completely so there was other systems put in using Spain and things like that, but it was, uh, they took a bigger percentage and it was just a, a headache. So you had no tourism dollars coming in. You had no dollars from people coming in. You had this change of, of uh, currency happen, uh, the trifecta of a mess. And it is bad. It is really bad. When I was there in April, I was hoping that I saw rock bottom because I have people constantly um, contacting me saying, Nick, I got a group ready. 
uh, I want to, we want to go to Cuba. We want to do your tours, blah, blah, blah. And I go, look, I would love to take you guys, but it's not the time. You will not be happy going to Cuba right now. So, and I still don't think it's really the right time uh, to go back. There's just, when you can't find water on the island, there's a problem. Uh, I mean, I had to boil water just to brush my teeth because finding a bottle of water, not to mention the price has gone up five times or six times, the, you know, the dollar amount, like you used to be able to buy a bottle of water for a dollar. Now that same bottle was about $4.80 average when you can find it. And water was still difficult to come by. Food, very difficult to come by. One story I'll share, which my favorite place to eat in Cuba and Coop knows this, is a place called, everybody that goes to Cuba knows this place. It's called El Aljibe. And Aljibe yep. is otherwise known as the chicken place. That's it's the first place we went to that night, yeah. I, you know, it was kind of my tradition that it's the first place I eat when I go to Cuba. Right. I go to Cuba, I go right to the chicken place because you have all you can eat, uh, chicken, rice, and beans. They'll, they'll keep bringing it as long as you can keep eating it. And it's some of the most flavorful chicken, oh, absolutely. the way they prepare it. So get this coop. This last time I was there, which was about three weeks ago, I go to my favorite chicken place and guess what? They don't have chicken. chicken. They had pork and they had lobster and they had uh, turkey. And I'm like, you don't have chicken at the chicken place? So uh, they didn't have water. I don't drink beer, as Coop knows. Uh, they don't even have domestic beer anymore. The two domestic beers that were there uh, always was always Cristal and Bucanero. Uh, those were the two domestic beers. You can't find those anymore. Now it's about nine, ten different uh, imported beers because everything is imported. The government, the country doesn't seem to make anything anymore, including water, uh, beer, or anything else. It was difficult finding anything. Um, so, yeah. I did have good rice and beans with some pork, but no wow. chicken at El Hive. Wow. So, just to go back to those 226 tons. I mean, again, this is a non-political commentary aside. Like that's right. a major, that's going to be a major setback in their economy. You're talking about some of these other things where they're not able to make it logistics and everything. Tourism has been down for the last two years. And then to top it all off, this hurricane comes and yeah. destroys the major major crop yeah. that supports their economy i mean well, i mean you know nick i'll cigar, go ahead and ask it i'll ask it yeah. point blank though i mean do you i mean can they recover from this can they recover um it's it's going to be interesting to see you know the situation um is very very difficult it's going to be very difficult for the farmers i, I won't count them out because one thing i will say about cubans is they're very resourceful. If there's one word that I can use for the people of Cuba is resourceful. They somehow, I mean, you know, look at their cars, cars that are over 50, 60 years. And somehow if there's no parts that can be imported, they fabricate them. Yeah. Um, so they oh. will do what they need to do um, to get it going, but it's going to be difficult. It's going to take a lot, you know, you know, with the new ownership, of uh, Habanos, you know, the 50% ownership now is, you know, Chinese based. Um, they have money, but you know what? It's not just money. It's getting the product there. Like 
you know, there's certain factories in Nicaragua and 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 uh, other parts that when they when it goes down, when it, when a cure, curing barn goes down, they got the lumber ready and they start building the next day. You know, try to get lumber in Cuba. It's like how you yeah. know. So you know, they will be able to plant again but you know there's no curing barns there's no buildings uh, it, it's completely just wiped down so um in order for them to get back it's going to be a wait and see but it's been a disaster for the cuban cigar industry for sure well and like you said money's not the issue the money they don't even take money it's you know it's the money's not the problem like you said the chinese based economy you know is supporting it but like you said materials they still need stuff to actually it's yeah getting yeah. stuff there has been a problem um the other thing that uh, obviously hurricane ian has caused is the power outages you know they you know they said oh you know the, the power grid was completely demolished there was no power to the complete island okay. nation for like three days uh i think friday night was the first time they started putting on some power but i have to say this Again, I, I don't like talking too political, but when I was there in April, outside when I was in Pinar in, in the in the uh, you know uh, Vuelta Baja region, four times a day the power would go out. I mean, when I weird hours. I remember when I weird. That 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 was a common thing, Coop. We're yeah. talking four times a day every day the power would go out. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. In Havana, there really wasn't any power outages back in April. Uh, when I was just there in September, outside of Havana, the whole country, they were at a, like an hour a day. Instead of it being, you know, no power for an hour, it was no power for 23 hours. So how do you charge your phone? How do you, you don't have a refrigerator. You're going back to the dark ages. You have no electricity on that country. And it wasn't, you know, you know, the government claims it was, you know, the problems with the uh, the grid and, and everything else. My opinion is they don't have the money to keep the lights on, so to speak. You know, there are these big ships off the coast um, from Turkey that is producing car, uh, electricity. And the Turks are saying, yeah, we can give you electricity, but how are you going to pay for it? So the problem is money. Uh, there is no flow of money into the gov into that country right now, and there's been a lot of protests again recently. Uh, I think the 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 the, the chants are put the lights back on or something to that effect. But you're talking about you can get really frustrated very easily living there when you have no power, no power, man. Um, in Havana, same thing. Um, it used to be out in the outskirts of Havana, it would be out all the time, but they always try to keep the lights on for the 2 million or so people that lived in Havana. The rest of the country got an hour worth of power, but because all the tourism and all the people that were visiting and all the industry, so to speak, was in Havana, they tried to keep the lights on there. And now that's a very difficult thing. Uh, they just put the power on, I think, the other day, people went back to work at Habanos for the first time, like yesterday. So there's, you know, there's, you don't have power. There's not much you can do over there. So they're they're in a bad way right now, guys. Let, let me ask a question, Nick. And if you can't talk a lot about this, I can understand because it is this is slightly political. So mm. uh, Miguel Miguel uh, Canal Diaz, he yeah. is now the guy in charge of this country, 
And he's been president for like four years. And I think he, uh, you know, he just became the, like he took over as far as the secretary of the communist party, I think like last year. Right. So I'm, I'm, on one hand, I've seen him more visible than any other Cuban president in my lifetime, right? I'm well, like, the oh. only other one in your lifetime has been Fidel. <laughs> Fidel and Fidel Raul. And Raul. Right, yeah. right. But, but, you know, the guy has a Twitter account, let's just say, right? Which, yeah. which is interesting. Right. I'm, I'm, right. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not preaching from Miguel uh, Canal Diaz. But when you, when you hear of the types of problems that Cuba right. has had right now, I mean, the first thing you and, and obviously there were protests last year. The first thing right. you wonder is what's his grip on this country right now? And is he in any danger of possibly being ousted? Well, it's a one party system. Yeah. And um, that that's what I mean. Said, yeah. Well, by it force. would be very difficult. But by force, that's why they came down and why our government was very upset with the way they came down yeah. on the protesters. Right. A bit harshly, um, you know, they cut off the Internet. They were fearful when they turned on the Internet initially, you know, for years they were, you know, they didn't want to open up Pandora's box because they realized what potentially that could do. Um, So, yeah, it's kind of like they need it. They need the Internet. They need to be part of the the world economy and part of the world connected. But at the same time, they want to keep those blinders on for 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 obvious reasons. Right. So is he in trouble? I think if this is the worst, one thing I will say, this is the most, if there's one thing you get out of this report or what I'm telling you now is that this is absolutely the worst it's ever been there since, since ever. I mean, wow. this is bad. I mean, wow. you're talking about, you know, when they had the, uh, the Mariel boat lift and all the, the mass exodus that was going on uh, back in the day, this trumps it by far. Uh, in fact, it's been such a mass exodus. There's been over 157,000 Cubans that have crossed into the border into the United States between October 1st, 2021 and June. That's the number for that 157. 157 That's according to the U.S. Border Patrol. Now, it's a figure significantly higher than the one that they recorded in 1980 during the Mariel exodus when they recorded about 125,000 Cubans. And that was a big to do. And that was over a period of seven months when, you know, Fidel basically sent all the criminals and anybody wanted to leave. He said, yeah, you want to get out, get out. Um, Now you had more than that. I can tell you this, anybody that has any means to get out of Cuba is getting out of Cuba. Um, If they don't have the money, they're doing everything they can. And they're all going, the majority of them are going through Nicaragua, the kind of the joke is that uh, Nicaragua re, re, uh, took away their visa requirements from Cubans. So all the Cubans just needed to get a plane ticket to Nicaragua. And then basically from Nicaragua, and the big joke is why are you going to Nicaragua to look at the volcanoes? But the Nicaraguan government knew what they were <laughs> doing. So these people, whether it was through mules or uh, coyotes or what have you, uh, were being brought and go crossing over uh, our southern border uh, through Mexico. Um, outside, I think Honduras was the number one country, but after Honduras, it's Cubans. You know, they're coming over in droves. Um, it's amazing how many people I know that have come from the cigar world. You know, people that worked in the cigar shops, in the factories, uh, in the farms, they're all over here. Um, it's pretty um, 
this, you know, the, there's a lot of despair right now in Cuba and there's nothing to look forward to. There's no end in sight. So they don't know, there's no better time to get out because there's nothing to look forward to. And the amount of people that have lost their lives in their, in their makeshift little boats and, and all these little things that have come over that way. And, you know, they're, 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 they have nothing to, uh, to live for, so to speak. And that's why they're doing what they have to, to come over here. And it's, it's sad because, you know, you know, are they any different than the Haitians and, and all the other people that are trying to get out and uh, for a better life, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a tough time. It's a tough time for Nick, you, uh, you know, you, we were talking earlier about like, you know, being on the, walking down the street when we were there six years ago. So it's clear to me, you walking down the street, in 2022 is very different than than 2016. Like you're seeing this visibly with people. Yeah, it's yeah. it's um, there's nobody on the street for one thing. You, uh, Coop. Right. It's um, it's like a ghost town in so many ways. You know, most of the hotels, like the Melia Cohiba, is still closed. Really. In April. Yeah. In April, most of the hotels were closed. Now some of them are open. You're seeing some kind of tourism there, but not really. Um, it's still they it, they need people to to start going there to to put money into the economy. But yeah, it's it's very depressing. It's I mean, very depressing. Again, I remember when we were there, the Europeans were you know the Europeans were like U.S. We were newer, right? Coming over right. on these tours, but the Europeans yeah. were constantly come. I remember we met that French contingent. Yeah, at the La Casa del Habano, that couple, and it was just like you had a lot of that. So you're not even seeing that European tourism coming right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, Cuba really the, the tobacco industry is one of the core um, sectors that contributes to yeah. you know Cuba's GDP. Now that's been whacked. Yeah. Tourism, yeah. you know, they're trying to get that back, and that's been gone forever. Um, yeah. It's it's bad. It's yeah. bad over there. You know what? You know when it was interesting though is mainstream media picked up on the damage to the tobacco in Pinar del Rio. I mean, it was talked about in the mainstream media, which you that's probably unheard of. You know when when something like that. I mean, I don't know. I think the last. I mean, there were a couple of big storms. I want to say in the late 1990s, one hit Nicaragua, one hit the Dominican. That that, but I don't think. I don't, you know, I can't say if they talked about tobacco, but they made a point of talking about tobacco on, on these news reports. And like, even some of the financial news services were talking about how, you know, we're going to get into Habanos in a little bit, but so I don't want, I don't want to digress too much. Here. But they were talking about how it was already fragile down there to begin yeah. with. So, I mean, it was, it was picked up in the U.S., I'll tell you that. Yeah. I mean, the, the production uh, levels were definitely down, you know, because of the pandemic. And they were just starting to get back um, fractionally. You know, I, I did visit a couple of the factories and there's really not that many people. Uh, I don't know what the percentage is, but definitely not up to where they are. And yet right now the demand has been, you know, there's no, I mean, you talk to anybody that's traveled outside of right. the U.S. in Europe, excuse me, in Europe or anywhere else, there are hardly any Cuban cigars to be bought anywhere. Uh, and part of the reason I think most of these cigars are being diverted over to Asia, because that's 
the insatiable market right now, right? They're paying whatever it costs and they're getting all the cigars. And, uh, you know, I alluded to that in my interview with the, uh, the co-vice presidents, um, what my thoughts were just, you know, they, uh, you know, it didn't go so well. Yeah, we're going to hit a lot of that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let me, what I'll do is, cause I think we're starting to get into that territory. Um, right. what I want to do is I'm going to do our, our U S president segment because it ties in with right. this. And then we're going to, we'll, we'll segue into some of the stuff that we, you know, talked about that interview. Um, okay. so this is our U S president's segment and it is brought to you by United cigars, makers of La Gian Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron, as well as the new Alfonso by United, smoke United, live United. So, in this segment, Nick, the idea is is a trivia question on presidents, and you're going to get to participate in this, but we're putting right. Bear. The idea is we want to try to stump Bear, who is okay. an absolute history. Nick, you know your history, so you, you maybe we'll, we'll give you the first crack to do this. Uh, the idea is to try to stump Bear. We have done this seven weeks. Bear has only been stumped once in those seven weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have thrown some real curveballs, to, to quote a term from Bear's show. At him. I mean, I've tried, I, but I don't try to trick him. The idea is not to try okay. to trick him or anything like that, you know, so I don't get into semantics here. Um, but so tonight, this is tied to Cuba. U.S. president's tied to Cuba. And it's a simple question. I want to know who were the U.S. presidents that while they were in office visited Cuba. So you can tell me how many there well, are. The, the key that you said is while they were in office while they were in office so i can tell you they, they were wearing presidential yeah they had the presidential seal right. you know yeah i'm sure bear knows this and i'm not answering his question but you know jimmy carter had visited um recently you know yeah. uh within right I think it was that don't 2000, count 2009 yeah. right um where he went there and uh you know yeah that doesn't count I happen to know the answer to that, that question, but let's let's see uh, the history buff. Go ahead, Bear. Go ahead, Bear. All right. Um, while they were in office, okay, so he, like he said, Jimmy Carter has been um, – I know Eisenhower was there too at one point, but not while he was in office. Coop, um, um, am I allowed to ask a qualifying question? Or? Yes. Is it, it's, it. it's two, right? It's you know two. Else was yeah, there it is two. Good, good job. Good job. Okay, it's, uh, it's two. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's two. So the, the okay. Let's get the obvious one out of the way. It's Barack Obama. Yep. A very infamous, infamous trip. Uh, yep. Baseball game, um, and you know everything. The the opening up of the embassy. Of yeah. The embassy and everything. So I mean, really. Um, was there right before we were? I think it was very close to when we went. Yeah, sixteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was at, it was at the very end of his. It was at the very end of his term. Yep, yep, yep. So yep. They like, had the, uh, march, the beast march of driving march down of the Malecon, man. They had you know pictures of the beast driving down the Malecon, man. Yep. That was pretty kind of kind of cool. And the amount yep. of people that lined the streets with American flags, you know, to to even be in possession of an American flag, you know, years ago was, was unheard of. That's why it was so unheard of when we saw the guy protesting, even that outdoor support, the, the, the out, the outpouring and support for the United States there was just incredible. You know, they thought this is it. We're finally going to get back with the U S and, 
things are all going to be, you know, kumbaya and, uh, you know, well, I you was know, looking for. Yeah. And then he, there was the infamous, uh, he uh, laid a wreath at the memorial for, for Marty. Yeah. yeah. And there, there was like, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there was, I mean, it was a, it was a very, and not only just, not only Obama, I know we're right. talking about presidents, but not only Obama, but the, the, the Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Rays team was there as part right. of the exhibition game with the, yeah. the, the Cuban national team. So, I mean, it was, I mean, it was a very big deal. Um, there was a lot I'm, of U.S. rappers. There was a lot of concerts. I mean, the Rolling Tom. Stones put on a show. Yep. Um, things were going in the right direction for a normalization, so to speak. We, you know, we were thinking, we were thinking maybe in ten years the Malcolm will be commercialized. I remember having conversations, yeah. you know, about the. Hope not, but you know. No, I hope not either. You know, Nick and, and Bear, I want to. I mean, interrupt here, but you know, another, another memory just came back as I remember when we were on, we were on the tour bus. Uh, going out to Pinar del Rio, and our tour guide was really asking us a lot of questions about about the election. I mean, she was, I remember she was asking a lot of questions, because obviously that election in 2016, they were worried about it, knowing that, that you know, Obama had opened all this stuff up. So, right. yeah, yeah. So there's, a, so there's also a funny uh, correlation between Obama and the first president to ever venture to the Caribbean, not to Cuba. I'm going to, I want to, I want to clarify this. So uh, Obama visited, uh, uh, I think three or four Caribbean countries while he was in office, Cuba being one of them. Jamaica was another, uh, is the one I'm talking about though. And I think he visited like Trinidad and Tobago and maybe Barbados, but um, Jamaica was the first Caribbean nation uh, that was ever uh, traveled to by a U.S. sitting president, um, which was which was Harding. You are correct. Uh, which I'm was actually the which was actually the uh, uh, the one the president that I got stumped on. Yep. Um, so I <laughs> uh, wanted to wanted to bring back that vengeance. Yep. But it was actually um, so Obama was the first the, the the first president to ever go to Cuba, uh, and he loved the Caribbean because he was an avid fisherman. But he did not go to Cuba to fish. Uh, was actually uh, Calvin Coolidge is my final answer on the second president. Well, actually, technically, he was the first, but he was one of the two presidents for the answer. So Calvin yeah. Coolidge, correct? You're absolutely right. Correct. You're absolutely right. Good job, Bear. I think it was like 1928 uh, that he was. Yeah, yeah 19. Yeah, you are right. You are right. Yeah. Yes, 1928. Yes, and he. So you think about Barack Obama is the only president to go in the post-revolution. Yeah, that's right. Post-revolution, so, yeah. post-World Wars. Um, yeah, Calvin Coolidge is an avid fisherman. He ventured to Bahamas several times during his president, during, during his presidency. Um, he also went to Haiti for fishing as well. Um, and, um, he, interesting enough, I remember, uh, the he, Coolidge went to Haiti in route to his trip to Hawaii. I don't know how that worked, but, uh, again, for all for fishing, uh, yeah, this was right. like his, it was like the equivalent today to how many days does the president spent on a golf course calvin coolidge was how many days by the riverbank or, yeah. <laughs> or whatever yeah. or, or in the ocean with the yeah. with the rod and reel um but yeah that it was a it was a pretty it was a pretty not as not as prestigious obviously as obama's visit but like it was um it was the fifth or sixth gathering of the of conference of american states correct which later became the, yep. it was the sixth okay cool yeah. uh, wow. which later yeah. became the uh uh the organization of american states which Again, if we're connecting dots in history, right, the organization of American states was actually the organization that um, 
even though obviously Kennedy was behind it and the administration was behind it, the Organization of American States was actually the organization that enacted the the uh, the blockade during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Wow, so it's connecting dots in history. It's interesting, right? Because yeah, the uh, the predecessor of the Organization of American States was the Conference of American States, um, and that was the organization that actually uh, put in effect the blockade. Of course, it was obviously completely backed by the Kennedy administration uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis in the in the nineteen early nineteen sixties. So, um, yeah, very pretty cool connecting the dots of history um yeah no it's a good job on that bear uh you know i was surprised you know i am i am looking at a list here there weren't a lot of presidential visits to the caribbean over the years uh, in fact no one's visited the caribbean since obama's cuba trip trump and biden have i mean I well, trump didn't travel that much to begin with uh, the, obviously obviously the pandemic had a lot Korea. to do with that <laughs> no, well, yeah. he found, <laughs> he found, yeah. him, found a way he, to go there well, yeah yeah, um, obviously, but yeah, Biden with the was, pandemic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it is interesting. Yeah, Biden with the pandemic, Trump with the pandemic. I mean, those obviously played a part in it yeah. too. But like, I mean, I mean, but I think I think the most frequent traveler to the Caribbean was it was probably it was still probably FDR. Yeah, I mean, of course, he went quite he went quite a bit. You are correct on that. He made the but most. That's late. I mean, he was in office for you know. He, he made, but he made more visits than all the others combined. So Do you know about the Rough Riders? Yeah, of course, Teddy. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. There was a connection with the Rough Riders and, you know, the revolution that we helped Cuba get their independence um, when we actually went and got them their independence. And that's when we had the – that's where we got that land, you know, um, well, Guantanamo, Guantanamo. Bay. Mm-hmm. You know, basically yeah. the, the thing that was written is that the only way – that we can give it up. We'd have to give it up in order to, to leave. Uh, they can't, you know, tell us to leave, even though they have. I mean, Fidel for many years <laughs> said we were basically occupying. In fact, he never cashed one check of, uh, we pay the, pay the rent every year and he's never cashed one check because if he cashed it, it would be, he accepts it. And uh, the, the one thing I was against, um, Obama wanted to, get out of Guantanamo. He wanted not only to close the base, but I was like, man, once you give it up, we're gone, you know? So I don't know. Now, of course, that's not happening. Yeah. And there's no, I, so I don't think other. we'll, I mean, never say never, but it's, it's going to take, it's going to take quite a bit of, uh, it's going to take some uh, monumental historical change in that country for us to vacate Guantanamo Bay. I mean, if the Cuban Missile Crisis couldn't get us out of there, I mean, Right. I mean, that's yeah. We're just not just not going to happen. Uh, the uh, it, the Caribbean's a is a is a really low travel point for presidents. Africa is another uh, con- is a well, Caribbean isn't a continent, but uh, yeah. area. Africa yeah. is also not very frequently traveled to by by U.S. presidents. Um, you mentioned uh, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, I believe, only went made one trip to the Caribbean. Um, don't ask me where please but i think it was like i remember one trip yeah like from what I, from what i was reading yeah. um but it had to do with it had to do with like french relations yeah. like like most like most trips to the caribbean it had to do with french relations because martinique's been a frequent place that uh yeah. that u.s presidents have gone but mostly to deal with french yep. relations interestingly enough not going to france going to martinique right. but right um but it's 
Um, yeah, the Caribbean's an interesting, just it, it's a very interesting area considering it's so close to U.S. borders. Uh, how 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 little we we frequent um, the the countries in the area. Yeah. I'll, I'll ask you a, a bonus question here. I, mean, I don't want to drag on it, but how many presidents have visited the Dominican Republic while while as president? Zero. Wow, that's correct. Which I thought was interesting too. And I, <laughs> There's been, yeah, they've been to Haiti. They've been to the island. They've been to yeah, Haiti. Been, yeah, Clinton yeah. went to Haiti. Yeah, Clinton went to Haiti uh, and uh, um, Roosevelt too. And Roosevelt. Yeah. 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 So so yeah, that's a good job, Bear. Uh, so your Bear record moves to seven and one. Uh, a reminder to our audience: if you have a question you want to stump Bear to, let me know. Coop at cigar coopcom and see if you can. Jay Davis it. is not allowed to submit anymore. That was that was ridiculous, man. <laughs> but you got that one right. I was so fucking hard, though, man. It was crazy. He had a name like he had a name like every state that Washington that came in the union under Washington, which was like insane. And because yeah. that's when states were coming in a little more rapidly, like back. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And he got it right. <laughs> So I, l- I lucked. I lucked out with Rhode Island. Uh, Jay actually asked me uh, post show uh, off the air. He asked me, he said, "Would I have gotten it um, if you had not made a recent trip to Rhode Island?" Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I answered candidly. Yeah. I said, I, yeah. I, "I can't answer that definitively because that was the last yeah. one that I got." And I, uh, I, I, I honestly can't answer that honestly. I can yeah. tell you if no, I wouldn't have gotten it, or yes, I would have eventually. Yeah. But that was the last one that yep. I got. It, yep. was, it was difficult. Yep. And good job by Nick, too. Nick got the question right, too, today. So got to give Nick some credit. Well, here. I don't know much as much as Bear, but I do know my Cuba stuff. So, yep, yep, yep. So, uh, so yeah, that was. I'm sure you know, I'm sure you know volumes more than me. <laughs> I just, I, I have a very, very obsessive proclivity toward presidential history. It's just yeah. one of those things. Yep. No, it's good. All right, so that was that was our presidential trivia sponsored by United Cigars. So we're going to get back to the Cuba discussion right now. And right. so, Nick, let's talk a little about the, uh, the Cohiba Festival now. Taking a step back, and I just have a general, and this is kind of tied into the conversation we just had, right? Uh-huh. So, you, you know, Cuba is known for gala events, at, at Habanos' events, a gala events. I mean, they, they're the benchmark a lot of compared to Anyone else, they, they know how to put on a, an event, you know, when it comes to the cigar industry. I well, mean, so how would well, go ahead. I'll, say, well, what I was going to say is, it, it, they, you know, they've been doing them since uh, 2000. And it's a big, let, let's be honest, it's a huge moneymaker. I mean, for what they charge, um, then they bring people from, you know, 2,000, 2,500 people from, you know, 150 different countries. Every year in the third to last week of February, you know, all these people converge, cigar people. It's mainly for people in the industry, but it's open to non-industry people. If you got the dollars and you're willing to spend it, uh, it's a great place to be during the uh, Habanos Festival Week. And they have a bunch of activities for the whole week planned. And it's a great time. For me, I've been going to every single one since 2009. And... uh, I love it because I get to see my friends and uh, people that I usually see once or twice a year. And it's during that festival and it's great. You know, people, you know, lovers of the leaf, aficionados and uh, being in Cuba, smoking cigars. uh, It's definitely uh, some of the highlights of my 
memories of Cuba during those weeks. Um, so yeah, it, it's been a necessity for them because not only does it bring in all the money for, think about 2,000 people paying, uh, let's average it at $500 a, a dinner for the gala, which has creeped up over the years. The last uh, Havanos Festival was in 2020 in March, um, right when the, you know, the, uh, the pandemic started. And uh, that was the last one. So they didn't have one in 2021. And they need to have that, not only for the influx of money, but the main reason I think is they do these auctions there. And it's um, the money goes to the uh, healthcare system and they raise generally, you know, 4 million, 3 million, lots of dollars that they donate in the form of auctions for their humidors. You know, they, they make five, seven different humidors and people bid on them. And uh, the numbers have been ridiculous. Um, this year, which we'll all go into detail, has been uh, the extreme of the of the ridiculousness. So I think because they missed this this year's, they didn't want to. They missed 2021. They didn't want to miss 2022, but they couldn't get it obviously for February, and they didn't want to wait till the following February where there is planned another Havanos festival. So they came up with this idea of doing the celebration of the um, Cohiba 55th anniversary. And um, that's what they did this, this year. They announced it when I was there in April, I got the preliminary news. I think they officially announced it in like June, I think it was, or even August. Uh, it was not much time. Uh, so the celebration of the 55th anniversary of Cohiba was uh, the big event in September. It was a mini uh, festival because it only had three um, three different events, and I'll go over the three events. The first event is the uh, opening dinner. It's really a buffet. It's done outside, and I can tell you this. There's a reason why they do it in February and not in August, September. It was so God. It was, it was, and this is somebody that's lived in Florida for 20-plus years. It was so humid, you know, because we're all dressed up, and we're outside, and they let us all in at seven o'clock and then they wouldn't even give us a bottle of water to like 8.30. So people were just like dying, uh, listening to the speeches. And uh, there was a lot of uncomfortable people. Now, mind you, they charge $650 for that dinner, that opening night, 650. Normally it's been in the past, I don't think more than 450. It might've even been less, but 650 was a huge jump in the price. And then that was the, the, the opening night. And that was on a Tuesday night. Yes. Tuesday. And then on Thursday, they did the um, visit to Legito. Now the Legito factory is otherwise known as the Cohiba factory. It's a basically a old mansion that since 1996, um, it became the Cohiba factory. Originally was only women that rolled cigars and they started rolling um, 19, no, I'm sorry, 1996 is when we went commercial. Um, 1982 is when the, when they started actually rolling the, um, the Cohibas that were used as gifts for diplomats and dignitaries. So, um, yeah, it didn't go commercial to 96, but anyway, they had this factory and they, this year you paid a hundred bucks 
but you basically got a tour of the Legito factory, which prior to that, if you went to Cuba, there was no official, like you can't go buy a ticket like you can to go to the Corona factory or one of the other factories in Havana. Um, they did no official tours to the Legito factory, but this year for a hundred bucks, you got to, and they had tours going through the whole thing. And I had been there a number of times uh, and going again, it's been a couple of years. The one thing that I noticed that was kind of shocking, and I guess call me kind of like out of it, but I was shocked to see all the uh, bourbon barrels. And apparently now they're using bur the, uh, the bourbon barrels to um, age the, the tobacco. Where are they getting them was, from? I, I'm not sure. They look like American. They did look They were American bourbon right. barrels, but I don't know how they got them, but there right. was a lot of them. I can tell you that. I've been to other um, factories in Nicaragua that people claim, uh, factories have claimed to use, let all their, and I go, there's no way. There's I see like four barrels here. How could they use all this tobacco going through these four or five barrels? But there was a number of barrels uh, there. And I was like, wow, that's that's interesting. And that's different. Um, so yeah, it was, see the Legito factory is an old mansion. It's not said, there's not this open galleria where you can see a hundred people, but, you know, the whole place, I think has got only a hundred employees, uh, going through it, or maybe it's like 300. Um, but there wasn't that many when we were there and there's all these little rooms and it's just kind of not real conducive to, to doing a factory, but it's a very nice place, uh, to, to have a, uh, to, to have a factory and, we got to uh, visit that. And then the gala that they had um, on Friday night, um, the price of the ticket. Now, they had raised the price of the gala the previous in 2020 to $700 for, for a ticket, which I think is a lot of money for a, a dinner. And believe me, you don't go there for the food. This year, the gala dinner was $1,100. Now, what do you get for your $1,100? Yes, you get uh, a few of the um, releases. They gave a gift. They usually give a gift every time. The gift uh, this year was an ashtray and two of the new cigars that they released, one of each. And while you were there, they handed out another three or four, like uh, after every, you know, you got it after the salad, after the soup, you know, they gave those cigars throughout the, the, uh, the evening. But um, $1,100. You know, oh, they did give us this really nice T-shirt and uh, and a hat. And also uh, in your gift bag, you got a uh, a DuPont. I don't know if you can see that. It's a little oh, mini jet. Nice. A mini jet. And and that, that's DuPont, not cheap. No. And a DuPont uh, cutter. Oh, that wow. also that also. Uh, Acted a, a stand. So these two, you know, these, you know, this is worth 300 bucks. The lighter's worth at least a couple hundred bucks. Right. Um, you got a bunch of cigars and the prices of these cigars, that's a whole nother topic. As you may or may not know, the prices on Cohiba and Trinidad have tripled uh, in the last year. So pretty pricey to give you an example, even though they don't have any, uh, the average price of a Cigolo six, Cohiba box, pre-pandemic, pre all the, the price changes, roughly went for about 500, and I think it was like $530 for a box of Cigolo 6s. Again, they were 
scarce, hard to get because, you know, the Chinese tourists and everybody from China were going over and buying. Basically, you couldn't find any Cohibas and Trinidads because they were buying them all in China, uh, in Cuba. Um, but they were $550. Now, I did find a couple of shops this year that had one box uh, per shop, and you were allowed to buy one stick. One stick was now priced at $68. So a box of 25 was $1,700, and that's the official price now. And the other reason why people traveled to Cuba and prior to Obama, uh, prior to uh, Trump changing the, the now bring back any cigars rule, one of the benefits were, even though cigars were still expensive there, it was probably the least expensive place you could buy Cuban cigars uh, at the retail level. Uh, so now there's really no benefit, you know? So they basically took the Asia price that was set there and they crossed the board. Uh, now that's the price worldwide. So boxes, so that's three times plus for a box of Cigolo sixes. So um, things have gotten a little bit pricey over there, guys. So to say the least, to say the least yeah. with that. <laughs> um, yeah, that is, that is definitely insane. Um, did, let me kind of go back. So this is, this was the first time they've done something like this, right? A, a mini type of, uh, of festival. In Cuba. In, in Cuba. Cuba. In Cuba. Done, they've, they've done, done it these, elsewhere. They've done these many things. They did one in, um, Belize a couple of years ago. They've done them across in different countries. A lot of other distributors in different countries, they're known as Habanos Moments. And they'll have these mini dinners that the local distributor and, and people will support. The aficionados will come from all over. I went to the one in Croatia where a good friend of mine is the distributor for Croatia and Slovenia. And I went to the Habanos Moments there. There's been a bunch of them all over the place. Um, this one technically was being held, sponsored, or I'm not exactly sure what the relationship is, but it was with Phoenicia. And they really are the, the big backers of this the 55th anniversary, yep. I think they kind of ran it with Habanos and uh, they did some local ones uh, in, uh, in their territory. And this is one that they opened up. And again, it was to bring people to Cuba um, to contribute to the public health care by donating, uh, by, uh, you know, auctioning and, and uh, bidding on these, re these ex ridiculously expensive um, humidors. Um, the, the largest amount ever raised uh, was by a Singaporean. He, he paid his winning bid was $2.8 million. Well, euros, but it's about the same dollars now. So can you imagine one humidor? $2.8 million. So yeah, that was the big news and uh, everybody was talking about it. So they got their money, which is why they really wanted to do it to get their money. Um, so they got some money into, uh, into the, into the Cuban uh, healthcare yeah. system. And the talk, the talk down there was that Habanos is happening next year. Right. Right. I mean, That's they, true. Have they, have they set dates or anything like that? Or they just said, no, that? but it's, it's always been uh, that last know, the week big buzz was, or, you know, people are coming back in February and I'm like, well, if they have one and I'm invited back again, uh, I'll go. You know? Right. Um, I mean, so we were just having this whole conversation. This was a smaller festival than, than Habano. I mean, can realistically can Cuba put this on is my first question. 
like with everything going on? Well, it was difficult for them to do it this time. Okay. Um, that was my next generally, question. Generally in November, every November, an even more fun time for consumers, cigar lovers uh, to go to Cuba. I always recommended going to what uh, there was a festival known as the uh, Partagas Festival. And yeah. It really was run by the Partagas shop uh, and, and a group called the Migos de Partagas, which originally started with an Italian group. And they do one in the summer in Italy. And then they do the one in November and the prices are much more reasonable for the dinners. They used to be about 100, 150 and it had a week of um, different events. And it's a fun time, again, mainly consumers that just love Cuban cigars and get together in November. And it was something I always looked forward to. And a lot of my friends who were dying to go called me, hey, I hear they're doing the, uh, the uh, Partagas this year. And I'm like, look, there's nothing officially been posted about it. And the re- they want to do it, but I don't know how they can do it. There's, I don't think they could find a place to be able to possibly do a dinner because that one is not done in conjunction with the government. You know, it's not Habanos, even though it's Habanos sanctioned, right. so to speak. It's kind of the Partagas, their own little thing. And the money, I think, stays in the, in the Partagas shop, um, part of the Carl Co. company that owns that shop, uh, which, again, is the government. Um, uh, but, yeah, friends have been calling me, are you going in November? And people have bought their tickets already. And they know the week, cause it's always the same week every year, which is the week right before Thanksgiving. Um, but I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. I had such a disappointing, depressing time. It was like, I love going to Cuba, but it was so depressing. The, the gentleman I went with in April. And the reason I went in April was a, um, a member of, uh, he, he was a member of the BBC and he was writing a book on different um, things that are going obsolete in different parts of the country, uh, different countries. And he's going to India and he's going here. I don't even know what the title of his book's going to be, but one of the chapters was about the lectors of Cuba. So he contacted me and he said, look, I'm looking for these particular people uh, that were old lectors that have been, you know, a lector, by the way, is a reader. Uh, and basically one of the traditions that is still used today, not only in the U.S. factories, but in the Nicaraguan and all the factories, is before there was TV and radio, there was a guy that would read the local news, uh, the current events, um, the local events, like whose birthday is at the factory. Uh, and then the other thing was the reading of books. So while people were rolling, you know, that's why you have brands that that came out of that, like Monte Cristo, because that was because they, one of their favorite books was The Count of Monte Cristo. So they would listen to that and they made a brand called Monte Cristo and and, and things like that. So the lectors um, were a very important part and they're still utilized today. Not as much. They don't read as much. They, they have certain times that they do, but they're they're like the mother hens of the factories. They're very uh, important people to those factories. They're like counselors and um, confidants. And uh, I got to meet some really nice lectors and um, it was a nice thing to do. And it was uh, finding these people. Uh, it was, it was, it was a struggle and, and a search, but I loved it, you know? Um, and we did that in November, but it was so depressing then I'm like, Oh my God, I hope things are improved by, uh, by September. And I was really counting on things getting better, but honestly, no, the power situation was way worse. 
the water situation was a little bit better, um, but not much. When you went to the little restaurants, they gave you very small portions and the food was not good. And again, uh, the drinks were not so plentiful. So I don't know if you'd want to go there. I mean, it's just, it's not a good time to be in Cuba. I mean, in one point, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing by saying not going to Cuba because they do need money there. And I think by telling people not to go to Cuba is going to not help increase things. But at the same time, they need some type of resources there to be able to uh, provide for the tourists. If you go there and you can't find water, you think you're going to have a good time or, or power, or you're going to have no lights. You think you're going to have a good time there? I don't think so. I don't care how much you love cigars. I, I don't like smoking in the dark all the time. And that was my, that was a lot of my question, Nick, because going ahead to Habanos, which is going to come up faster than you think after Partagas in November, or, you know, right. if Partagas happens, can they handle, I mean, hotels aren't open. It's hard to get water. I mean, I'm kind of looking, how did they deal with the, where did they put people for this? No, not, not, there, there were hotels open. Okay. There were a lot that weren't. Okay. Um, but so, there were okay. some that were very, yeah. you know, most I think are at this point. Um, okay. But you were well, saying, yeah. yeah. The, the Melia was closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in April, when I went there, the national was closed for a private event only. Okay. Um, That's right. I did see the national the, open this time. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were open, but here's the funny thing: if you're not staying at the National, one of the best places to have a cigar in, in Havana is at the National on the, the terrace what a, outside. What a night that but was! Yeah, you got you got no service. You couldn't get a drink, and then oh, you wow. couldn't use you couldn't use cash. They'd say you have to have a debit card. I'm like, well, all I have is this peso. What do you want? U.S. dollars? So they would say, all right, I'll put it on my card, and we'll take. You know that wasn't happening, but. Right. Um, it was difficult getting drinks, you know, and having a cigar on the terrace. And there weren't that many people there. The big difference was even the, okay, this year they were saying there was going to be a thousand people uh, for this um, 55th anniversary. But I believe there was only, they stated 650 people, but I don't know. It didn't even look like that many people, to be honest. Right. But there were people there. I mean, more than they're used to uh, of late. But they, they were hoping, I'm sure, double that. Um, but I don't know. I, I really hope so. I really now with with uh, the hurricane problem, it's tobacco. I mean, you know, they do store some tobacco. They don't have right. much in reserves, but it's going to be a real, uh, you know, it's, it's a matter of if they can put up these barns fast enough and get these the infrastructure in place uh, and prepare the land uh, quickly. Uh, for this next, uh, you know, selling for this for the next harvest. Yeah. So when when the Habanos Festival happens, there's the trips out to Pinardo Rio as part of that kind of like similar to Pro Yeah. Cigar one does, of the yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. They do yeah. That too. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah, I mean that, that would be if they don't have the barns up, that would when they. What are they going to do with all this tobacco? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean the. T- the tobacco. I mean, they had tobacco out there, which you know was probably being ready to be processed. That's gone. Well, that's why a lot of it was was demolished. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. You know, a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, but there were everybody was just preparing for the for the next harvest. Generally speaking, you know, the I mean, the next sowing of the it was always in October. It's always about you know the right time. It's never exact same week every year, but it's usually you know mid October. So yeah. this year it's it's going to be difficult. They're going to yeah. have to work hard. Um, and try to repair what they can, get rid of all the stuff, and then I don't know what they're going to do with once they collect all the tobacco. 
where are they going to put it? So I don't right. know. Right. Now, to my knowledge, yeah. Habanos hasn't issued any statements on what the hurricane they did. did. They, yeah, did? they did? When they did, did they do that? Uh, a couple days ago. Okay, I missed if that. Go, yeah, it's on their website. Um, basically, they they basically said, you know, we're, we're sorry and feel terrible for what's happened and right. that kind of thing, you know? Okay. So that was out there. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so, so they did that. Um, everybody's really depressed over it. I can tell you that, you know? Sure. Sure. I can imagine that. Um, back to the festival. Um, and I do see it. Yeah, here's, the- here's their statement real quick. Yep. Habano SSA regrets the damage caused by hurricane Ian in Cuba and specifically in the province of Pinar del Rio with a great tradition and importance for tobacco production in the country. So um, at this time, the safety and the population of the region and the workers of the tobacco, click on this article. Um, Yeah. The authorities together with Tabacuba are evaluating the damage caused by the crops and infrastructures and the measures to be carried out as quickly as possible. Habanos SAA remains in close contact with the responsible organizations to collaborate in the recovery measures that are dictated to recover as soon as possible the normal activity of the Cuban tobacco um, and in particular that of Habano. So okay. that was their official statement. No, it's short. It was short, but okay. They short, did say so. short, but they, you know, they yep. made a statement. Yeah. Yep. 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 No, uh, that's, uh, that's interesting as, as far as that goes. Um, I guess this is a good kind of kind of segue into the next piece, but uh, Barry, did you have anything else on that? Because I'm going to segue into some of the media stuff. No, it's, it's all it's all very interesting, and it, it kind of I mean, I had already asked the question earlier, and it, it just I think it's it's becoming even more apparent, like how difficult this is going to be for for the country to put on festivals like this, and I'm I'm I mean I I mean I said it earlier, I think I'm I'm deeply concerned about you know, again, my concern is about the people. It's the commentary yep. about the government aside is I'm, I'm worried about the yep. the people of Cuba after, after this latest hurricane. And uh, just, just like our, you know, our friends and family down in Florida in the Fort Myers area, you know, and in particular in the state over, like it's, I mean, it yeah. was a, it's a detrimental storm that is going to affect, you know, yeah, a lot of things, you know, it, it, as it always does. It's not just about, it's not just about that house that it tore up. It's, it's, it's everything yeah. in this case. Well, it's, it's a psychological damage. I mean, you're talking about these people have been, tr- it's been a trying time in general when in Pinar, they only had an hour of power before the storm. And now this happens, you know, it's yeah. like now their, their livelihood and uh, you know, it's taken the wind out of their sails, man. In so many ways you got to feel for them, no matter what your political stance is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as far as I go, yeah. The uh, anything like on your last few visits with that you've noticed maybe with the new ownership, anything different or is it, um, you know, the new ownership, obviously, of half of Cuba tobacco? Um, no, which leads me to believe like my personal opinion is that this is the Chinese government directly buying. I don't think there's, yeah, well, well, I guess China owns all the, all the businesses out there one way or the other, right. In in China. So whoever 
everybody was always trying to find out who are these buyers that bought, you know, half of, uh, you know, the outsideest part of Habanos. There's no face. There's no person that they've elected to be the spokesman uh, for the Altaitis portion of it. Um, the Altaitis operations in the U.S. and overseas, everything is status quo. And, and I've talked to a lot of the employees there and they have no clue. They just, you know, go about their regular day. There's no changes. There's no rulings coming down. The big change, and again, I, I, I mentioned this in the interview because it's clear to me that this is what happened and it makes a lot of sense. If you're trying to get, and your purpose of buying is trying to get as much as this product into the Asia market, and there's not enough to go around. You can't, even if you're the new owners and say, okay, I now own 50% of Habanos here. I want all the product for myself because I'm greedy. And uh, I bought, I just spent you know a billion and a half dollars. I want all this product. It wouldn't really go so well with, with the current distribution in place. So a good way to get around it is by saying, okay, we're going to raise the price to the prices that things are sold in Asia. And if you can't sell it for that price, then send it by all means to Asia. So it kind of solved the problem. A lot of the local smaller distributors of some of these other countries, uh, they've told me like, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, the, the, they're more concerned with Trinidad where maybe Cohiba will, will stand the test of time. Uh, but Trinidad is the other brand that they uh, put at the same level and they've raised those prices up, you know, threefold. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if it, it manages to stay that way. But in the meantime, in the short term, if if you're a distributor in country XYZ and you can't sell it to your local consumers because they refuse to pay now three times the price, you're not kind of held, you know, you know, caught holding the bag. You can sell it to Asia. And uh, I mentioned that with the uh, during my interview and they didn't really kind of directly respond to that, but they seemed to acknowledge what I was saying was probably true. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, they just, you know, if you want to watch an interesting, their statement, uh, watch that video clip that, uh, Coop posted, yep. uh, you can get it off of, uh, Coop's website yep. and it's, I think it'll it's be in the, YouTube it'll be and, in the show notes here as well. Yep. So if you want to hear Cuba's official, um, position and statement on the price increases, there you go. You'll hear it directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yep. So let's get in. Let's get into that piece um, a bit. Um, so you had an opportunity before the festival opened as a member of the media, um, right. and you actually go down there with media credentials and a media. V- I do. Uh, yep. Um, so you actually had an opportunity to um, attend a media briefing. Well, uh, no, not a briefing. It was done differently this year. Normally, okay. they, they used to do briefings and official, you know, media briefings. Right. Um, they didn't do any of those this year. So what they did because of the different structure of uh, not being a festival, um, the briefings and the media presentations that they do during the festival are very informative. And they go through some really, really nice detail uh, of everything that's going on, kind of like, uh, you know, the year, the year in review. Uh, this year, they really didn't do any of that. Uh, but they gave an opportunity for anybody in the media to interview um, whoever you wanted. 
uh, about things. And I, I was kind of actually hesitant to do it because yep. I normally get my information kind of unofficially because I get real answers, so to speak. Um, and I knew asking these the questions that I wanted to ask, I wasn't going to get, you know, I was going to get the, uh, you know, the, the official version, yep. so to speak. So, yeah, I, uh, they gave us all different time slots to go in and um, get to interview whoever we wanted to. And uh, I had the opportunity to do that myself. Yep. Yep. I mean, you were invited to that. I mean, that's a, we'll yes. make it, yeah, mm -hmm. you, you actually, uh, I remember you were invited because you and I talked about that conversation about whether you were going to go or not. Um, and, and I asked yeah. what kind of questions I knew in my head what I wanted to ask. But, uh, you know, I bounced it off a few people in the media that yeah. I that I uh, talked to in the U.S. And I said, what kind of questions do you think? You know, and I it was the same questions I knew that, you know, I also always wanted to ask, but never did. Right. Because, you know, it wasn't going to go over go over well. And of course, what we're all talking about, anybody that knows about Cuba somehow people always are mentioning, and I don't care if you're outside of the U S or inside of the U S the one thing people could say, you know, is that the, the leaf, the tobacco is fantastic. And there's been issues with quality control over the years, Right. Uh, it's not a secret. It's kind of like the emperor's clothes. Nobody wants to talk about it, but the reality is it exists. So I brought that up uh, in that interview. Yeah. By the way, I don't normally hype things like, but folks have got to see this interview. Um, and and what I'll say is, it's also you could download it as well. But it's because I don't like I said, you asked questions. I think that were on out of people's minds, and it was a rare opportunity that the cameras were even in there. Like, yeah, they, they let me record it. Yeah. They let you let them record that. So, um, <laughs> and uh, you know, maybe they weren't so happy about it, but maybe they weren't happy. Um. They had to know, Nick, that these, I mean, they did know, right? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anybody's ever asked them that, honestly, straight out like that, you know, on the record. Yeah. I really don't believe because I've never seen it before. Yeah. You know? Right, right. And, and you got about, I want to say you got about 20 minutes with them, too. So yeah. yeah, it was about, yeah, it was about, uh, about 20 minutes. Yeah. Before, before they threw me out. Yeah. <laughs> and literally, like, folks, I mean, watch the interview, but when Nick says literally they throw him out, um, as close to well, like throwing him out without physically removing him. Well, they, <laughs> like, they, well, cut, uh, they cut, I cut the question. Tape. I, I cut the tape. Um, I was looking over at their, I would call them their handlers. The, they, they have a media, not a media, a, um, yeah, a media company that basically was scheduling these meetings and right. uh, were their handlers, so to speak. And they were there and they did not look happy. Every question I asked, like I just thought this guy was getting more pissed and more pissed at me. Um, and it was like, you know, I, I wasn't there to be a dick. I wasn't trying to be an ass. And I kept prefacing it by saying, look, you're talking to a fan of Cuban tobacco. Right. You're talking as I even said, I'm the your unofficial official, you know, ambassador of Cuban cigars. Cause I, I do love Cuban cigars. I think, you know, there's a lot of people, they call them Cuban tobacco snobs and Cuban cigars. I only smoke Cuban cigars. I'm definitely not that person. Let me preface that by saying the hell I have my own brand where the factory in Costa Rica and, you know, it's not Cuban tobacco. Um, 
Do I like to try to emulate some of the blends and some of the profiles that Cuban cigars have? Yes, because I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Cuban uh, blends. Um, but having said that, you know, I'm not just a Cuban cigar smoker, clearly, since I have my own brand that I smoke and, and enjoy and I love blending for. But so I, you know, I had to preface it because these guys know me that I wear so many different hats when I'm in Cuba, you know, tour operator, um, lounge operator in, in the Middle East, uh, you know, uh, blender, uh, uh, panel of the taster, uh, testers. Um, so I'm quite involved with it. So I, but I was there and I felt I owed it to the American market and the American cigar smokers that always are asking me this question. I'm like, look, what can I tell you? I can only tell you what I know, what I see. Um, so I brought it up to them and they had a response. And you hit three big points in that interview, pricing, quality control, and supply chain. I mean, Nick, you hit those three things. And, and um, was there anything that surprised you from their answers? I, I guess the reaction. <laughs> oh, the reaction. <laughs> the reaction, you know, and, and you can see that I was a little uh, verbose and, um, hesitant, like I, you know, like you know, when you want to do something you don't really want to do, but you know, you got to do it, right? You, you kind of, it was maybe would have been better if I just pulled the band aid and just asked the question. And not, I think you asked them respectfully questions. Though. I think like, the I questions mean, were very I respectfully mean, answered. I don't think you hammered these, but I think they were fair questions you asked. Yeah, I think so. I just think that they weren't used to those questions, you know. Well, they weren't just um, American questions, Nick. I mean, the quality control, for example, what I really appreciated in your interview is asking about it because they emphasize before you even right. asked about it, they yeah. emphasized that we will always focus on quality, not quantity. And like I, I like was listening to the interview, Nick, and I verbally like out loud because I was by myself. I out loud said, well, that's a fucking joke. Like, <laughs> like because like, I, I mean, I, I I'm, I'm well, they don't not. have enough tobacco. There's clearly the one thing about Cuban cigars is there's never the supply and demand. There's definitely of more course. demand than there is supply. And that's why they can increase the prices year after year after year. Every year it's been going up. But this year going triple. Um, and, I, and I even mentioned it in my head when I think of, you know, luxury brands. And there's a trend uh, in non-Cuban cigars now, too. Uh, I thought, you know, I've thought of it, you know, but I started the trade show. We sort of said the trade show this year, too. You know, it's like, you know, what makes a hundred dollar cigar? What makes a two hundred dollar cigar? You know, and now with the Cohibas, you're talking about some of these new cigars are three, three hundred dollars plus per stick. That's what they come out. These these 55th anniversary. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Is it worth the money? It's worth it if you're willing to pay it like. My analogy, and I even mentioned it in the interview, is, okay, you have Hermes, and then you have Berkebags, you know, which is like, yep. sky's the limit. But yet, those are the things that are selling more than anything. You know, to be able to pay $200,000, how can you ever justify paying even $20,000, which is kind of the starting point at some of these, you know, uh, Berkebags? I mean, it's, it's a Berk, it's a freaking pocketbook, for God's sakes. What makes it worth 20000 what makes it worth 200,000? Because somebody's willing to pay for it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Now, what I what gets me is the, the the smoke and mirrors with some of these other brands, and I'm not even talking Cuba side, some of these other companies that just talk about 
ridiculous things that are just not true to justify their ridiculous costs. Okay, you know, if people are willing to buy it, it's you you call it marketing, I call it bullshit. But that's what it is. But people are sucking it up and they're they're paying it. You know? Well, if you really wanted to be persnickety, you could have been like, you know, you, you're talking to me about supply and demand. You know, you're talking about a capitalistic concept, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you really wanted to be an asshole. Right, right, that. right. <laughs> right. So because they I mean, they again, they meant uh, outside of your questioning, they were talking about supply and demand. And I found that I found that yeah, comical, comically point. ironic. Good point. <laughs> Yeah, they, they you know, were, every they year were talking about. they're always there's always a I think from the year prior at the one press conference that I went to I think it was like an eight or ten percent increase a very nominal increase um, of of sales for Habanos and that's again not because of demand it's because of what they could produce for that year they were able to get that much out there um, and now obviously they they're, they're not even close to being able to produce what they were able to produce before because of the pandemic and all the other factors. So the pricing, you know, allows them to make more money with less products. So I get why they did it. And as long as people are willing to pay it, I don't fault them for it. You know, if, listen, if you want to pay a dollar for a can of soda, because that's what it is, but you go to certain places and it's $10 and you really want that can of soda, will you pay $10? Yeah. You know, if you can afford it and you want it bad enough, you'll pay it. And that's what's happening with uh, Cohiba and, and some of these Cuban brands. The, the other question I had for you, Nick, on this, the one of the, the thing that caught my ear to, again, maybe verbally speak while I was listening to this. Um, when they brought up, when they blamed right. the U.S. embargo on, on, for their, for their, pri for their pricing instructor, like, I, I, again, applaud, uh, I applaud your restraint uh, during this, but like their justification for the U.S. embargo impacting their decision to raise prices like that. Again, that makes absolute no sense. That makes absolute zero sense because the U.S. is it not their market. It, look, it didn't it didn't surprise me in the least because Cuba in general. Everything that's anything is always blamed on the blockade. You know, okay. everything, everything okay, to do then. with anything in Cuba is all you. I don't care what it is. It's the blockade's fault. And, you know, the Castro regime has been using that um, clearly. And, and there is some justification to why. Yeah, there definitely causes a lots of problems. I have friends that had legitimate businesses in Cuba uh, with OFAC license. One particular gentleman um, sells food. And he was telling me, you know, because of the blockade and because of the regulations that the U.S. government sets on him, he is not allowed to sell directly to Cuba. It's got to go through a third party bank with payment up front. Well, the one thing, if you know anything about Cuba, is they don't pay for anything up front and they're willing to pay. He was like, you know, I had prices that were 40 to 60 percent less than the nearest competitor from some other country. And they were getting the bids and they were getting the, the contracts because they were given terms. So that was because of the blockade. And so that affected his business as a, he was actually a Cuban American. Um, and he, you know, shed a lot of light on a lot of things that goes on. Um, That's very fascinating. He would actually be a really good guest uh, on your show. If you really want to know the, in, the 
the inner workings of because he's worked with the uh, with the Trump administration and now he's actually working with the Biden administration and he is just very uh, very knowledgeable about this stuff. He's been on both sides and he knows what's going on. But yeah, everything is blamed on the blockade. Why they brought up the blockade? Yeah, there is factors. You know, there it's difficult to get anything into that country because of the blockade. Everything has got to come from somewhere else. Um, a lot of countries refuse to deal with um, with because of the uh, the terrorist list that you know Biden did not take them back off. They were Obama removed them for a brief amount of time to try to make things easier for other countries to do business with um, with Cuba. But um, it's it's a factor. I know a lot of um, mainly media people that live in Cuba. You know, a good friend of mine was the, uh, the representative for Thomson Reuters for a number of years. Um, the gentleman, uh, Patrick Opperman for CNN, he's been there now for at least six years. And all these guys that are, you know, foreigners living in Cuba full time and they love Cuba. But when you can't get regular things, the way things happen there and, and it's kind of sad is like one day you'll go there and there'll be no toilet paper anywhere on the island. And when you go to the bathroom, they'll have napkins instead of toilet paper. And then the next couple months you go there and there's no napkins and they'll give you toilet paper instead of napkins. And when you go to a, a supermarket there, and again, I use the term very loosely, it's not what we're used to as supermarkets, they'll have aisles and aisles of one product because when the ship comes with, so you know, as a Cuban resident, oh man, you know, they just brought in diapers. This may be the only time diapers come in for the next year. So I better buy all the diapers I can. Even if you have the resources, you to the meaning the financial resources to buy stuff, it's just not there. So what most of these people that are living there generally would travel to Miami and buy everything and bring it back. And that's why there's a big black market, so to speak, of a lot of Cuban Americans and Cubans that are just muling back and forth, you know, goods, clothing, uh, medicine, everything because that's the only way there's no, there's no cargo ships going to Cuba. So that's how they're, it's difficult to get things, these restaurants. Um, and there's been a big, there was a big resurgence, you know, um, with Cuba, with doing private business, which in the past wasn't even allowed, but now there was, a, there were a lot of restaurants and clubs and businesses, and they were getting all their food products. They were going weekly uh, to Miami and the flights were relatively inexpensive. Uh, to be able to go and get load up and go back. Uh, the pandemic changed the prices ridiculously. Again, uh, a lot of the flights were canceled. I used to be able to fly direct on a United flight from Newark, you know, to Havana. They, they got rid of those. So I had to fly from Fort Lauderdale um, and Miami are seemed to be some of the two, you know, cities because of the Cuban population that are still open uh, and the fact that there are even flights, because I mean, for the longest time, there weren't even flights. They just had charters. And I thought it was going to go right back to the charter flights only. So it's still somewhat open. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it's difficult. But yeah, everything is blamed on the blockade and the embargo in Cuba. Everything that's wrong with that country, when uh, Fidel for years and, and Raul, um, anything that was wrong with that country, no matter what it was, was because of the blockade. Maybe partially true, but you can't blame everything on it. At some point, right. you got to say, "All right, you know, come on." Maybe something. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, you, you know what? This I didn't. 
I didn't mention this to you when you kind of come to me with some questions, but I did think of this question afterwards, and I haven't discussed this with you. Mm. Do you think, right, and tell me if I'm completely off base here, right? So Cohiba in the non-Cuban market, right? right. Back in 2019, uh, General made the decision to take Cohiba and pr- start. they started pricing these $100 cigars. And they actually right. took it up to 125 with the, with the Spectre. Do you think that might have driven some of this with Cohiba? Like they saw what was happening with Cohiba in the U.S. And they're like, well, we're, you know, and they obviously they think very highly of the Cohiba brand. But we're going to do, we're, we're, okay, if they're doing that, we're going to we're gonna go a step further. Do you think that had any or thing to do with it or no? It might have been a very small factor. I don't, I don't okay. think so. I mean, um, they did it because in Asia, they commanded a higher price. Mm-hmm. And the market in China has just grown right. prior to China being the number one player. It was Spain. Spain was the largest consumer of Cuban uh, cigars for many, many years. Um, but they were much less costly. Um, and now the pricing that they have in Asia now is, like I said, has been set across the board for every uh, distributor in every country. Um but it kind of solves the problem where, look, we can't make the amount of cigars we need. So since we have, again, it's a supply and demand thing. If I can only produce 10 of these instead of I normally produce 1,000, I'm going to mark up those 10 until the point of resistance. You know, they'll, they'll keep raising it until it can't be sold. I think the prices are only going to go up even higher. I think so, and they too. Are on the, and they're only going higher on the secondary market. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely the prices I've seen. It's just insane. You know, a box of, of cigars I've seen on some of these websites now, $5,000, $6,000. Are you kidding me? But if somebody's willing to pay for it, they'll keep making it and they'll keep raising the prices. So, yeah, I, I think Cohiba, you know, there, there's that whole thing with Cohiba, you know, general, you know, STG that owns the rights outside of uh, Cuba. I mean, that's in the U.S. for for uh, Cohiba. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that someday. But um, why Trinidad? Why Trinidad as a luxury? Is that always been kind of a luxury brand? I never, right. I well, never considered Trinidad at the same level. That's why. Well, here here's the history of Trinidad. When they commercialized uh, the Cohiba brand and made it into a commercial brand. Um, 1982 is the first year that Cohiba was sold, um, you know, commercially. The factory, uh, the Laguito, it was was started to be made in 1966. Right. So 1966, the Cohiba was around. I think General registered the trademark sometime in the 70s. Um, And then when it went commercial in 1982, Fidel created another brand. And they called it the Trinidad. And his favorite cigar was, the, they called it, you know, the, the factory name is called the Leguito Number no. 1, which is a, basically a Lancero, um, you know, Cohiba. And that was his cigar Vitola of choice. And so after Cohiba became commercialized and sold to the, to the world, uh, he created another brand. It was Trinidad. Again, that brand yep. was the replacement of Cohiba as the diplomat you know, dignitary cigar of choice for gifts. So right. then they decided to commercialize that. So they wanted that to become the next Cohiba. I don't think 
it's had the same effect. Kaliba still the most well-known brand out there. I mean, it drives me crazy. And no matter you, you see a guy on the streets and you're smoking a cigar, of course, in Cuba, that's all you're here. But even in the U.S., you're, hey, is that a Cohiba you're smoking? No, dummy. I'm not smoking a Cohiba. It's not the only brand that's out there. But you get that from the non-smokers. Everybody seems to know Cohiba. Uh, and part of the allure uh, of Cuban cigars is the fact that, you know, it's the forbidden fruit and always has been. So it's only helped, you know, uh, the pricing go to where it is today. But that's well, why I'm Trinidad. Got it. Now it makes some sense. Um, you smoked the Cohiba 55. Some yeah. thoughts. I mean, I'm not going to ask you if it's worth what it is because I don't. I think we know the answer, but thoughts on the we cigar. Say we established it's relative, right? Yeah, right. But thoughts on the cigar. I mean, this was a big hype cigar. Um, I, I smoked the um, a couple of them back in April when I was uh, officially visited the the factories. The factory director of the Corona, you know, handed me an Elm Bar back then, and it's a very enjoyable cigar. I, I definitely like it. Um, the Bahique, in my opinion, was a great cigar yeah. when it was first released, yeah. you know, 2011. But then it went, it it went, in my opinion, went down uh, significantly for years, and then they stopped, and they kind of got called out on that. Yep. I yep. think it was like um, Switzerland or Spain. They basically said, "Hey, this is not the same Cohiba you guys were." I mean, the same Bahique, and for a while they were almost impossible to get because they realized, okay, we've been rushing this thing out there and the whole um the whole buzz and the whole thing about the the Bihike is is the medio tempo leaf yep. which is another thing that they created now a lot of these other non-cuban brands are using the medio tempo they call it and the, and the medio tempo is is these corona leaves on top that only so many of the plants not all of them will produce this extra leaf which is a super potent um and there's limited they really do exist and there's limited amount so if you don't have it, how can you produce this, you know, this yep. Bahike? Um, so yeah, now the Bahike is ridiculously crazy. If you can, you can't find those anywhere. We, we and, couldn't find them on the Island back in 2016. Oh no. Yeah. You know, they, they, they were never there. Um, yeah. Because, you know, they go they out, just, they, whatever they, they make, they go. Yeah. They go out. And yeah. And that, yeah. now that's become the, uh, every Cohibas at, at that level at this point. I don't yeah. care what it is. It says Cohiba on it. It's just crazy price because yep. it's an insatiable uh, Asian market that just loves it. And again, I think it's just for them. I don't know if they're real cigar smokers or they're just their brand smokers. Uh, and that's their brand. Yeah. You know, in, in China, they smoke two brands, Cohiba and Guantanamera. Guantanamera being the cheapest brand and Cohiba <laughs> being the most expensive. There's nothing in between um, another another question that again I, I didn't put in the uh, interview questions because I didn't think they want to tip their hat on anything but um back you know so this was the first year that I can remember all right that you know when the Habanos festival happens they announce a series of releases and they're they're typically they don't make it to market till like a year to a year and a half later but this right. year they're, they're, except for the regionals and some of the LE stuff there hasn't been anything really related to that. Um, what are thoughts well, they, going? They, no, they did. They did announce, you know, they have a, a two new cigars that they announced, you know, the Ambar being one. The Ambar was announced the, at virtual days last year. Right. But they, 
but they still haven't released it. Okay, but usually they like, like you can go to Habanos and the stuff from the year before isn't isn't released yet. I mean, we've yeah, seen usually that. it takes it usually takes yeah uh, a year plus. Yeah. But the yeah. two uh, most notably the the Ambar and the Idalis both still unreleased, you know. And of course, you know the Cohiba 55th yeah. anniversary yeah. series. But yeah, they they talked about it before, but there wasn't any new cigars. Yeah, uh, announced. You're right. Uh, is your feeling is they're going to have something for the festival? Some stuff? You mean in February? In February. Well, it's... I don't know. I don't even know if they're going to still have the festival. I, yeah. I really yeah. don't know what's... what's. Yeah. Uh, I'll get the, the scoop, but right now, Habanos was closed, um, meaning the offices of Habanos were closed. Um, they just... Re, I think they went back into the office for the first time, like I said, last Friday. So they've only been back in the office for like a couple of days because that's when they got power, like couple hours on friday friday night i think it yeah. was so yeah got it yeah got it all right um bear anything else we want to talk about with the interview yes go ahead, go ahead. we have to talk about the ending <laughs> we kind of touched on it already but yeah go, a little let's, bit let's go, okay let's go because well, i want to pull because i want to pull the direct quotes so like the, yeah okay the, like the <laughs> okay so, I mean, again, we already established it's a very interesting, interesting dialogue. You know, they weren't expecting these type of questions. They answered them with, with and I want to give some credit here. They asked, answered them with some, uh, uh, you know, a degree of, uh, of candid nature that, you, you know, probably haven't seen in a while or, or ever. One of the guys cases. did. Yeah. One of the guys that the guy on the right did, uh, Jose yeah. Maria. Yeah. Open, but, yeah. Um, well, actually, actually, the guy on the left, uh, He's the Cuban uh, co-vice co president. He was actually, he answered more of the question about quality control. He did. Yes, he did. Um, That's true. You're right. right. You know, he, he they both kind of like Jose Maria, you know, he's the Spanish co-vice president. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know. They, they, they had some canned answers and they had some prepared answers uh, for other things. Um, and, and again, they did ask me what I was going to ask in advance. And I said, are yep. we being censored here? I even questioned in my email. I said, do I have to give you the exact questions? And they're like, no, no, we just want to know what your questioning, your line of questioning is going to be so we can get you to the right people to answer it. I said, okay. And um, I wrote down everything I was going to ask. It wasn't like a secret that I was going to talk about these points. And um, nobody, in all fairness, nobody came to me and said, hey, you know, you really uh, were out of line um you shouldn't have done that even my my contacts at habanos didn't didn't even bring it up didn't even say i was i was wondering if they were going to say oh man you went overboard on that so nobody in all fairness nobody said anything to me so it wasn't like you know i, I was officially told you know um it was a no-no but i could see it you know in their faces i can see it you know in their responses you can say yes and I and I could see it in their handlers that were more upset about it than than the actual interviewees. You know, yeah. that kind of like you brought uh, as Bear wanted to touch on the ending. They pretty much were like, OK, we're done with these questions. Get out. And I was like, oh, OK. And I kind of try to make a joke of it. I did cut the tape at that point. But I was like, oh, you're rushing me out of here. Huh? All right. So, uh, yeah, because they were they, they said, OK, thank you for your time. And like mid mid sentence almost. Yeah. Any more questions? <laughs> they, they didn't want any more questions. But in all fairness, they did tell me I was only going to get a 20 minute window. So I did go over my right. 20 minutes. So maybe that was part of it. But 
it did feel a little bit uh, okay, you know, move on. Yeah. Yeah. It was, was not I was not expecting the abrupt end. Let's just put it that way. Mm. Yes. All right. Um, so Nick, one, I want to do one more short segment at LH, but we got to, Baron, I have to do one more quick uh, segue. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so we're going to get into uh, this segment is called Great Things Are Happening Here. It's brought to you by Tobacco Area USA, makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco Area USA, great things are happening here. So in this segment, folks aren't familiar, we, we, we go with all the bad news happening in the news lately. Uh, Bear and I try to identify a positive story uh, that we've come up with uh, for, you know, this past week. Um, and um, Bear, I'll kick this one off this week. Please. Yeah, I was actually uh, going to ask you to. Yep. So um, this is just kind of a simple one. Uh, and uh, again, I'm not going to get into I, I don't want to get political on this. Right. But. Um, Jimmy Carter, uh, 39th president of the United States turned 98 years old, um, on Saturday. Actually, he's celebrating his 98th birthday this Saturday. Um, and, um, he, uh, you know, is the oldest president living president in history, in the U S history. Like no one's, uh, no one has, uh, reached 98 years old who has held uh, the office. And, you know, um, he, you know, basically, you know, he's hitting a big milestone this week. And, um, you know, it's, I thought it was a, a big milestone. I think it's an important thing. Uh, so no matter what you think of him, uh, he still held the office of president of the United States. And, uh, you know, he's hit a big milestone here uh, at 98 years old. So, um, he, you know, he has been, I know the answer to this one, but he has been 42 years post-president almost mm-hmm. since his post-presidency almost 42 almost, years almost a, almost half a century yeah almost half a century that he has lived uh again the longest surviving president after leaving office so um i thought it was worth you know we do a lot of stuff on presidents in history and i thought um this was a good one this week uh so happy birthday to president carter here so you know uh you know 98 years old if i can get close to that i'll be happy hey i'd sign up for that any day uh, absolutely absolutely yeah, and this this might sound like a, a, a I'm not trying to levy a dig disguised as a compliment, but I mean, the but he is a man who's done more out of the office than he ever did in it. He did. He did. And he did. And, and, and he's, that, he's a good a man. I think he's a good human being. You know, his humanitarian work and everything else. Say what you will. A lot of people say he was probably our worst president ever. You know, and all this. Um, and yeah, he's uh, up there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he had uh, a bad, he, well, had a, he had a bad run. There's no question about it. Yeah. But you know, he well, held, he, I, yeah, he, he's a good human being. I'll yeah. give him that. You know, I, I always look back at, um, the, when the Iranian hostages came in and, 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 you know, Carter was heavily criticized for that, handling that situation. And, you know, the hostages are released the day Reagan takes office. And I always thought it was like I thought it was a real great gesture that Reagan did to have Carter kind of finish the job. And he basically didn't take any credit or anything like that. He he had Jimmy Carter as the guy who welcomed them home and everything, uh, even though Reagan was now holding the president office. So I, I think Reagan did a good job and that was a good transition of power. And just I thought it was a very respectful thing that happened. 
uh, with that. So, you know, it's, it was it was a good thing. I remember that. And I always thought that was a, a good, despite, like I said, Carter had his um, detractors. I, I, you know, I can't take that one away. That was, uh, you know, again, he had a lot of de- he, I think he had I think he was a decent, very decent human being. So no, there's no question. Yeah. About him. No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I'm with Nick. I, I think he I think he's yeah. a good man. Yeah, I think he's um, a very good. And you know, he's person. he's pretty much the last like he's retreated from politics for a long time now. So he hasn't been politically. I mean, the last time I remember him even polit- doing anything political was I think when Bill Clinton at the '92 convention. I think that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him doing anything political much after. And I could someone may correct me, but that was his, that was kind of the last hurrah I remember him speaking at that convention. Yeah, I know. I, I I think I think that's it. I mean, and, yeah. and shit, that was thirty years ago. Yeah. So. Yep. You know, yeah. I do remember reading that uh, people that like Secret Service that work for him, they all thought he was really not a nice guy at all, uh, which is really shocking. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, you know that he was kind of like, uh, you know, he seems to be such a humanitarian and really care about people in general. I mean, he's a damn minister. Yeah. Um, but yet I remember hearing those, you know, that he was not a really nice guy, you know, that most secret service guys didn't like him and didn't like the way he was not very respectful to people. And it's kind of odd to think of him because when I think of him, I just think he's a good guy that, you know, you can say what you will about him as a president, but as a, as a human being, I think, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Agree. So happy birthday, uh, President Carter. Happy birthday, yeah. President Carter. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and Bear, I'll just say one more thing because I'm I'm old enough to remember this. You weren't born, Nick. You know, Carter came out of nowhere that year to win that election. People he came out of yeah. nowhere. He wasn't even the favorite, and then he gained momentum in the primaries very early. I remember that. So well, same thing with Obama. Yeah. Ob- Obama too. Very true. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. I was I was in shock, right? You know, yeah. I just I just didn't want Hillary to win. And I was like in shock that Obama was actually, you know, I was kind of happy that he was like, I was like, wait a minute, you know, yeah. and then he became president. Yep. Yep. Well, well, if you were, if you were a McCain supporter, you wanted, you wanted Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You wanted to run right. against Clinton. You didn't want to run against Obama. Yep. Right, um, right. Yep. But uh, um, the, uh, my, my story for the great things are, I want to, uh, I'm going to throw a curveball here. Cause I want to do two. Uh, I found two okay. that were, okay. Uh, one that was very, very important to me just because of what some of my family members are going through. But this is a I'm, I'm going through this interesting journey in my life right now, Nick, because I, I'm, I'm a father of two sons and uh, my oldest is seven years old. Thank you. My oldest is seven. And he's um, he's never really shown an interest in sports, even though sports are very much a, a part of my life, uh, particularly baseball. And this past summer, he was like he was telling my wife and I was like, hey. I really want to play baseball. And he was like almost obsessed with the idea. And he, I mean, we've played, you know, in the backyard and he, you know, he shows interest for like 15 minutes and then he'll go off and, and, and build something. Cause he likes, he's very tactile. He likes to build things. He's going to be an engineer one day. I'm convinced of it or something mm. of, or something of the like, <laughs> he's going to build something. Um, right. And, uh, but he's been really, really enjoying the season. He's having a lot of fun. Uh, he's a, f- a far cry from the best player, um, but that doesn't matter at this age. And it doesn't matter to me either. I, I really no delusions about of grandeur with my son in athleticism. I'm just a realist. Um, oh, so you don't having... think he's going to be in the MLB? No, 
Uh, I mean, not without a lot of hard work uh, and dedication. And I mean, he certainly could do anything he puts his mind to. But uh, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I, I, that's, I, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a dream <laughs> at this point, uh, as it is for most people. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a. It'd probably take a miracle too. But um, one of the things that uh, they've been doing at the end of each game is they give a game ball to a, to a player. Uh, and my, you know, we're four games into it. My son hasn't gotten the game. Well, that's not what this story is about. Uh, but it started with the first game and he, he went up to the player who got the game ball and was like really congratulated him. He's like, I'd like to take a picture with you. The kid didn't want to take a picture, but every week since he's, uh, wanted to take a picture with, uh, the kid with the game ball. Coop, can you give me the permission to share the screen real quick? Uh-huh. Um, and We've taken these photos every week, and I've got two of them right here that I'm going to share here in just a second. Um, and sorry about that. I mean, you should have it now. And it, it's just a very small gesture uh, that he wants to do, and and so here's a picture of 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 two of them, and um, and then he did it again this this past week too with a, with another kid and he always asked me to take the picture. And, and the, so after the third week I asked him, I said, Hey son, you know, like, you know, you know, just, 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 why do you want to take a picture? And this is unprompted. I didn't put this in his head. His, my, my wife, his mother did not put this in his head either. He's like, I want to take a picture. So they always can remember how good they can be. And I don't know where the hell that came from. Um, I mean, but when you talk about immense pride in your child, um, for just having that kind of thoughtfulness and kindness um, is just unbelievable. I mean, that's a very advanced thought process. That's something that, you know, probably a, maybe a teenager at the very earliest would say in my mind, maybe even some adults wouldn't say anything this kind. Like, and uh, I mean, kids are good by nature and everything. And he's a very kind hearted kid, but, um, but just very deep, you know, I want them to always remember how good they can be. It's not about him. It's not about the game ball. It's about his teammate. And, and I, I told him when he, I, I mean, I did tell him when he started, there's three rules he got to play by. And the number one rule and the most important one was to have fun. The second one was to be a good teammate and listen to your coaches. And the third one was to be a good sport. And it didn't matter win or lose. You shake your opponent's hand and you tell them it's a good game. And he came up with this on his own. And uh, it, it's, I mean, it's given his mother and I uh, just, just immense pride that he has that kind of deep thought towards it and it's it's become a thing and he he loves it he he really loves and and, and enjoys it so that's awesome um yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool the other story i wanted to and this is the one that uh i had sent you coop but uh it's uh, the city of singapore uh um it, the singapore government uh has has put together this this estate that's uh, really cool because 60%, 60%. So a majority of Singapore's population is over is is elderly. It's over the age of 66, I believe, according to the article, which is pretty baffling. And they actually have a, a pretty large population of people who are suffering from Alzheimer's and early onset dementia. Now, this is very personal to me because as my as our audience knows, and Coop, you know this too, my this is what my father is suffering from. And, and it's a, it's a horribly horrific thing. And I know this is a good thing. So, but the city of uh, what Singapore has done is built these estates, these communities that are 
uh, allowing these people who are suffering from these diseases to live independently and they make they have very visible signs um, and a lot of different areas specifically designed for these individuals so that they don't get lost they're reinforced with some of the things and reminded of the things and what they're supposed to be doing and it's it's incredibly um I mean, we're talking about humanitarian efforts from the former president carter and to go it's a it's an incredible give back and a gift to the people of singapore who are suffering from this uh these dreaded diseases and i think it's awesome to uh, you know to reinforce encourage and, and and bless these individuals that even though they are suffering and their families are suffering and going through this that they're still able to live independently and and and, and be human because there's nothing more dehumanizing than these diseases because it, it, it it's the, it's the, the uh, reverse. Uh, it's like the Benjamin button disease, man. I mean, it just takes you back to right. where you nothing and you, and everything is lost and everything you're, you're lost in your own world. It's, it's, it's something the three of us could never imagine at this point because it's just unfathomable to think that if it's like stripping your entire memory, which we spent a great deal earlier time talking about our knowledge and, my love of history and and Coop, I've often complimented you on this, and I know Nick, you're an encyclopedic knowledge of certain things as well. And so it, I mean, to lose that, I mean, isn't just loss of knowledge; it's almost loss of identity in some cases. And so they get to keep that, and it's a, I think it's a beautiful thing that Singapore is doing, and again, allowing these people and this population of their you know, this population, which again, they, they think as many as this is, here's the interesting stat. By 2050, there could be as many as 158,000 people suffering from these diseases. I mean, that's, that's an incredible. So that's not only, not only are they taking care of their citizens now, they're looking, they're looking down the road and the foresight that they're putting into this. And I just think it's, I think it's just absolutely wonderful what they're doing. So, so bravo to Singapore. Good job. Good job there. Yep. Good, so two good stories. So that was our great things are happening here segment. Um, as always, brought to you by Tobacco or USA. So, Nick, we did cover a lot of the LH stuff I was going to do in this segment at the beginning, but I did want to do a little closure and wrap up um, as far as this goes. Uh, I'm getting to the end of my uh, my Nikos here. Um, yeah. I want to give you some initial feedback. Uh, yeah. This is the first I saw. This is a great cigar. It's really rich, um, is what I'll say. Um and uh, like you said, I, it's probably as far as body goes, it's one of your more fuller cigars that you've definitely done. Uh, great flavor throughout this thing. And uh, very, it's still a very approachable cigar to get a little more boldness out of it um, and still get some great flavors. I'm getting a little more spice at the end of it, but again, not an aggressive spice. Uh, very well balanced. Um, this, this, is, um, this, is a great, this is a great release. I'm very, very impressed with this one. Good to hear. Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's why I wanted to get your feedback. Yeah. Um, I have a pretty very... clean palate. I have a pretty clean palate right now too, because I've only smoked one cigar uh, in the last two weeks. So, <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've the, been uh, very. Uh, this is my second. Yeah, I only smoked one other cigar. Terrific. And and why I smoked what I smoked, uh, you know, it was like uh, I was going to smoke something really bold yesterday, and I ended up dialing it back a lot because <laughs> that's not a good idea. So, uh, but, um, yeah, Bear, any thoughts on the LA? Uh, I thought it was incredible. 
from start to finish, I thought the draw was absolutely yeah. immaculate the way yeah. that I've always envisioned a draw to be. Um, you know, I've smoked quite a few cigars that have that draw, but it's it's always a welcome. It's always just an incredible welcoming like almost like a an old friend <laughs> coming back one, to visit. one thing one thing i can say about all the cigars that uh, i produce and anything that comes out of the factory actually um construction is always paramount i always tell every retail every retailer that uh, i do business and anybody that potentially look whether or not you know any of the of the blends that i have are in your particular flavor profile or not one thing, rest assured, you can actually have anybody try it and they will have a good smoking experience because it'll always draw well and the construction will always be paramount. And that's partially what I what people don't know. Costa Rica is not the best place, in my opinion, to want to open up a factory. I would have never have wanted to open up a factory there. Again, I ended up meeting uh, the folks there, the family that I'm involved with. Um, in Cuba, and they've become family as well. Um, the problem with Costa Rica is everything is so much more expensive in Costa Rica. The labor costs are four to five times more than what an average roller will get in Nicaragua or Honduras, for example. So that's the bad part. But what's the good part? The good part is the average age of experience that our rollers have is like 20 plus years. And wow, think about it. If you could cross the border from Nicaragua and make four times more than what you were making doing the exact same job, you know, let's just say that our door is always being knocked on. We constantly don't have any shortage of potential uh, rollers. And we do have our own nine month program in place because uh, the family that's the majority owner of the, of the factory, um, they're Costa Rican and uh, he does a lot for, he's a very good uh, person and a, and a good family. And they do whatever they can to give back to their to their community. So we have a lot of Costa Ricans that work there as well. But the majority of our rollers are Nicaraguan, and you know they've been at some of the best uh, factories out there, and so they have a lot of experience. And uh, my construction is always paramount, and uh, not to make light of it, but it's like to me, I I'm used to hearing that. You know, since day one, I've never had any construction issues whatsoever. So. So yeah, it's continuing. And and reflectively, I, I will say that from all the the LH cigars that I've I've smoked, that that's that's been that's been pretty pretty consistent. Um, I mean, unanimously consistent, I would say. So like reflectively looking back, it's probably something I didn't really pay too much attention to. But since I'm in the moment, it was the highlight for me. And I I, I don't want to disparage that and take away from the the flavor. I found it to be a very very enjoyable complex cigar. Um, I really liked the the sweetness. I really could the the floral notes that I got off of it were incredible. The balance of earth and sweetness really played off of each other really well. Um, and uh, because and it was still under twenty dollars. See, and I didn't get the floral. <laughs> I didn't get the floral stuff that you were talking about. I mean, you and I, it, I again, I it's su it's subtle yeah, though. Yeah, it's not like it's not like we were talking about like yeah, the Peruvian tobacco, heavy. yeah, but, like where it can be like overpowering. And, right. and I'm not well, familiar with the blend. There's no, there's, but, and that's a positive. No, what I said is yeah, I didn't get there the floral is no notes. Peruvian. That's the only right. cigar that I make that I don't have any Peruvian in in it whatsoever. Right. Um, the wrapper I can tell you is from Ecuador. 
the same HVA seed uh, that I use there. And uh, the other tobaccos, it's the only cigar that I've released in the U.S. that uh, I don't disclose the filler. And I thought it was, again, I just thought it was incredibly uh, complex. And like when I say the the the, 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 the floral note, again, it's it was to me it was very subtle, uh, but it was more like a, I wouldn't even say a secondary or even third. It was it was a, like fourth or fifth layer down. This is a very deep cigar. Um, you know, I, I I held down a couple of uh, of of puffs on it just to to really let the palate sink in with those flavors, and there were a lot of notes that I was getting, uh, some really nice you know like you know candied nut quality to it, some marzipan sweetness to it. Um, it was a very deep complex cigar that I just found incredibly enjoyable um and it was again it was highlighted by the the technical aspect of it because there there are there are cigars that have that have not that flavor combination and component because i don't want to take away from your blending nick but i've had complex cigars that are they're great flavoring and then the construction just kind of blows it and it's just technically not a sound cigar and so it's good it's a good cigar but it could have been great if it was this is uh, this is an all-around, really well-done cigar that I really enjoyed, and I'm 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 glad that I got to smoke it with you tonight, Nick. Um, oh, I appreciate it. And uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, retailers uh, or or consumers, or I can ask uh, can direct them to a an existing LH retailer. Uh, my website is lhcigars.com, and uh, you can drop a line on there. Um, on social media, not that I do a lot of it, but I do have Instagram and Twitter and uh, Facebook. Everything is at LH Cigars. So if you just type in LH Cigars, you'll find me, LHCigars.com or Instagram, LH Cigars. And uh, I make a point of answering. And I love dealing yeah. um, and talking to consumers, retailers, anybody who wants to talk about cigars, tobacco or anything, feel free to reach out to me. Awesome, Nick. Awesome. And I know you are very responsive, by the way. So, all right. Um, I think we have come to the witching hour here. So first, Nick, I want to thank you very, very much for uh, being a part of the show tonight. Hey, um, it was my pleasure. This was, if, folks, if you, if you came in later, you, you need to hear this interview uh, today. Uh, There's a lot of good information for sure. Uh on both LH and the LH brand, and of course, uh, on Cuba. So thanks, Nick, again. Look forward to having you back soon as well. Uh, Baird, uh, anything before uh, before you hang, uh, before we kind of close out? Yeah, we had a terrific show on Sunday on Ellis Fumar Takes. Um, you know, it was a really, really terrific show. Something, a show I've been wanting to do for a long time. We were able to speak with uh, Michael Capuini of Toscano Cigars, uh, a very educational, uh, but also dynamic conversation. We talked about a lot other than cigars, uh, kind of like we did tonight. And uh, Mike, Michael's such a, a, a blessing uh, and such a, a great conversationalist. It was a great conversation and Ooh, really um, enjoyed it. Excuse my ignorance, but I, I know Zev, um, he, uh, he used to be my broker in the North Carolina, South Carolina market who now works for Toscano directly. Uh, who's Michael, his boss? Uh, I, I don't know if, I don't know how, how Zev reports, but uh, no, Michael is specifically, uh, uh, his title is the U.S. ambassador 
for Tuscan oh, cigars. So he's he, kind of like Sean Williams. He's kind of like a Sean Williams role. He's got. Yeah, got yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, he uh, he goes around and does tasting events and events, and he probably works alongside Zev at events. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not probably he does, and uh, and so, but I don't know the I, I don't know the corporate structure of how that works if Zev reports to him or anything like that. But I don't think so. I don't think Zev um, has. I don't think because I don't. I don't think Michael has sales. That's why. Yeah. I don't think he runs the sales teams. So, but I think he's that's a, a, I think that's what's her name. Um, uh, Belinda. Yeah, well, Belinda. Yeah, Belinda. yeah, yeah. But uh, Michael uh, is uh, has an incredible story because uh, his family, of course, is from Italy, and uh, they settled settled in Jessup, Pennsylvania, which is actually uh, just just north of the headquarters, uh, the American headquarters for Toscana Cigars, and so that's kind of how it kind of all happened and everything, and. You know, his father and grandfather smoked Toscano and stuff. And it was it's a, it's a really cool it's a really cool journey that that oh, made him um, were into the I, position that he is. So it's pretty cool. I can tell you Toscano in Europe, it's they're they're fanatical about it. There's oh, yeah. Toscano groups and clubs and, uh, you know, that's all they smoke. There, yeah. There's a definite uh, cult following for them. Well, I mean, even like when you say cigars in Italy, like they there is not, there's not a word for cigars. The word is Toscano. Toscano, yeah. Like Toscano yeah, right. describes it's exactly. like a Q-tip, yeah. Yeah. If yeah, someone yeah. smokes an LH yeah. in right, Florence, right, right. oh, what, what, what Toscano are you smoking? Well, I'm yeah. smoking in LH, yeah. Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, you know, right, right. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that's it's 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 you know it's synonymous with cigar smoking. It's crazy. And um, but this week I've I've got a uh, the I've got a the next generation in the uh, storied Cuevas family, uh, Alec Cuevas, uh, the uh, the son of Luis Cuevas, is going to be on my show. So we're going to be talking about the his uh, his newest position. He's been promoted uh, in the last uh, in the last year, and then he also released his very first cigar that he uh, that he co blended along with his grandfather, the Sangre Nueva, uh, which um, coincidentally enough has some fire cured tobacco in it, which is what makes Toscano cigars. Toscano cigars so um so nice little correlation two weeks in a row a little bit so uh really excited to have Alec on John Carney will be on later this month as well and then my my infamous what has now become my infamous birthday episode uh later this month uh will feature uh Coop along with uh, Steve Saka of Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust so uh a lot of fun a lot of fun coming up yeah I'm looking forward to that Absolutely. yeah and I'm actually I actually got that sanguine whatever uh I'm gonna smoke it on when the show's on Sunday so I do have one. Uh, when I was up in Rhode Island, Joe D gave me one. So, uh, so yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna smoke it that night. So, so I'm looking forward to that. All right, uh, again, Nick, thank you very much. Uh, our audience, thank you as always. There's thank you. That's gonna wrap up primetime special edition 128 into the annals of history for this Tuesday, October 4th. Now Wednesday, October 5th on the Eastern Time Zone. We'll see everybody next time. Take care, everybody. Take care. See you next time.